0: I'm Radio Roger, and you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show.
1: WAPG, it's the Airline Pilot Guy.
2: Airline Pilot Guy, episode 352.
3: Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy.
2: Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from studio 468 in the hyatt place hotel in nashville tennessee In today's episode, aviation news, your feedback, and this week's plane tale, killing myths. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in your upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 352 is ready for pushback. Hello everyone and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy show. It's an aviation podcast where we discuss news in aviation strangely enough and we cover your great feedback. And here to help me with that from her lakeside studio in South Carolina. She's a doctor, a skydiver, a marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot. Dr. Steph
4: Hey, Captain Jeff, good to see you this afternoon. Uh, looking forward to a great show today.
2: Looking forward to it as well, and also joining us from across the pond in his studio in the English countryside, a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, current captain for an international airline based in London, Captain Nick.
0: Hi, Jeff. You're not going to be able to say that for much longer. Uh, less than six months to go. woo I know, I was just thinking the but same who's thing. Counting? Who's counting, really?
4: <laughs> when I, when <laughs> I was saying <laughs> really current
2: counting. captain for a major, uh, and I'm thinking, yeah, to say former. going to be a major change. Yeah, uh, say yep.
4: retired. Yes. Pilots of leisure. Or something.
2: <laughs> Pilots of leisure. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, Maybe don't. when I retire, I'll have to change the name of the show. <laughs> 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 this week's episode of Pilots of Leisure. <laughs> Uh, anyway, how is everybody doing?
4: Good. Really good.
2: Yeah. Well, you look great as you always do. Uh, A short
3: day for you, Steph?
4: Yeah. Generally on Thursdays. Although I tend to fill up the time with other things besides work.
2: Yeah. Kind of your run errands day.
4: Yes. It's nice to have that half a day to get things done because otherwise I normally. Very good. Hours. So it's hard to get errands done, especially Other businesses that have the same business hours or just have time to um, be here and do a show with you guys.
2: All right. Anything interesting happening in your life, like out flying or meetups or anything like that?
4: me personally, but I did uh, take a quick trip to Florida last weekend, which was nice. Just a one day down and back, basically. Um, Nice visit with my grandfather down there. Nice weather. Um, We went to see a football game Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Panthers played terribly, but it was a a nice uh, 82-degree day in Tampa. So, enjoyed the weather, good family um, time, and back here to work.
2: Have you been able to do your flight to keep your airline status?
4: Yes, I took care of that. Good. (laughs) uh, I rode a lovely Airbus A319 the other night up to Baltimore and back. Excuse me. And uh, the same airplane just got off took back in again, got back on, came back uh-huh. 760 miles, which took care of my 758 mile deficit for the Oh, just barely. <laughs> Actually, I think I got credited a thousand miles for it anyway.
2: Oh, okay. But, and so spending that money on that kind of flight is worth it then to keep the status.
4: Yeah. You know, I came, um, like I said, within 758 miles of having a platinum status for the year, mm-hmm. which is 50,000 miles total. I was like, after forty eight thousand or forty nine thousand two hundred and forty two miles I'm not just going to let that go away
2: <laughs> all right good for you yeah that's awesome so. very cool, very cool all right um Captain Nick um anything interesting happening between the last time we recorded and today's show, like maybe any what? kind of Christmas extravaganzas or anything going on
0: uh, I don't know actually i i I flew to uh St Lucia and back uh which was a very nice trip it's uh it was my first uh a 200 series flight uh a bit different from our 300 series uh um mainly cuz they've come from another outfit uh, we've acquired from from someone who didn't need them anymore um so they're just a few anomalies not quite up to the same software standard in some respects as our um bright and shiny uh, three thirty three hundred. So that was an interesting flight, and of course, I don't normally operate Gatwick Saint Lucia, so it's just you know different. Gatwick's uh, not so easy for me to get to the. I'm not so familiar with the airport, and Saint Lucia is, you know, uh, it's a nice tropical island, but they're not exactly um, overflowing with airport facilities. So it's always a challenge. And uh, then we came home. I've only had two days off, one of which seemed to be occupied 99% with um, a, uh, a rival podcast. And I'm sad to say that you had two of your crew who were uh, being, you know, co opted by this bunch. So, oh, was Steph able to join that? Yeah, Steph yeah. was there. Oh, really? I thought you weren't going to be able to go on that show.
2: Oh.
4: I didn't think so yeah. either, but I, I had time to sneak in in between
2: ah,
0: okay.
4: doing uh, stuff at work.
0: So, well, y- your way was much better, Steph, because you think this show is long. That show was longer. It <laughs> was, took forever. I don't know. Just seemed to go on for hours.
2: Yeah, sadly, I wasn't able to make it yesterday because I was flying all darn
0: day. It was a very uh, long. You were in 12-hour great day. Voice. We enjoyed your rendition. Oh, well, when shepherds wash their socks by night. You know, I
2: I wish that I'd had a little bit more time to prepare something very clever uh, and pithy, like uh, you had (laughs) suggested. And I swear, I spent hours trying to think of like lyrics and different tunes and Christmassy tunes, and I couldn't come up with anything. And I'm thinking, this is not my talent. So. Ah, Yeah. Well, so see, I, great...
4: I missed that part of the show, so I'll, I'll look forward to hearing that in the uh, finished product.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's going to be on it's Christmas nice. Day, I think, isn't it? I have no idea. I don't know. Hey, Armando, I, he's in I the chat room. Um, I'm not losing control of my crew. I lost control of the crew a long, he's long time ago. never really. Yeah, I've <laughs> really never had control. <laughs> yeah.
4: He may have invited us to be here, but that's about where it ends. That's it.
2: Excellent. Yeah. All right. Um, hmm. So... Again, uh, I look forward to watching the uh, PTUK Christmas ex- Extravaganza show and uh, hearing from everybody on, on that show, not only PTUK folks, but plane safety podcasting people and uh, airplane geek people and uh, representatives from the APG. Thank you very
0: mm-hmm. much for representing us. Ah it was CDC. Anyway, uh, I'm going to be probably uh, disappearing for the end of this show because I'm heading back to St. Lucia tomorrow. Uh, slightly longer trip this time, so we don't just fly to St. Lucia. We then overnight and then we do a shuttle to, I don't know, one of the other islands. Uh, it's not Granada, uh, uh, Tobago. I think we go to Tobago and back. Uh, and then we have another night, and then we have the aircraft uh, to take home. So, uh, uh, the, the slightly annoying thing is that that little shuttle, which is two like thirty-minute legs, um, it takes us nearly two hours to drive to from the resort where we stay to the airport. Wow. Two and hours then to probably, drive? Yeah, I know. We're we're at the opposite end of the island. I was going to say
4: how nice the ball. island can't even be that.
0: <laughs> well, the roads aren't very good, so uh, you know you, you don't go very fast. Um, I think the coach is steam powered. Uh, in fact, they tell you what they were pretty neat. They they had an accident on the island uh, which blocked the main road, which we needed. And uh, as we set off, that we got a police escort through all the mm. traffic for about halfway down the island. We still got there a bit late, but uh, anyway, by the by, um, so that that little short trip. So two hours, uh, we sort of have an hour to wind the airplane up, 30 minutes to fly it. We land it. I think they turn it round in two hours. Um, And then we then fly it home for... A, uh, a half an hour and then two hours back to the hotel. By the time we've done eight, that,
4: at least eight hours,
0: absolutely. It's Ugh. a full working day. And uh, because it's just little shuttle flights, we don't get meals and there's nothing to eat. You know, we're lucky if we get a bottle of water by the time we get back to the hotel, the restaurants will closed. It's just a pain, Welcome pain. to my world. <laughs> yeah, this is this is why I love long haul normally. I mean, this is like short haul, right? It just reminds me, no, I don't want to do this. This is horrible. <laughs> well, I don't think you're going yeah, to ever have
4: Indian, to. In the Caribbean. No. I mean,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. I can that think of worse good. places to fly.
0: Yeah. That's true, and it and it will be able to do a nice lot of hand flying, and uh, you know we're doing um, visual approaches or you know RNAVs. so that's brilliant. Uh, so yeah, all that's fine. Oh, I guess Dana's here. Yeah, here <laughs> let me let me mute. Um, there we go.
4: <laughs> his arrival. Uh, he's announced his own arrival there. Yes. yes.
2: Mute there before go. coming on, please. <laughs> <laughs> we're I muted. I muted you for you. I thought I had the mic switch pushed down. I am sorry about that. Oh, that's all right. We got to hear you adjusting the blinds and everything else. So what Hi were you Dana. saying? I data. <laughs> Who knows?
4: Nick has yeah. a rough life in the, in the Caribbean. Coming uh, up. Yeah. That's what oh, uh,
5: yeah. yeah, yeah. Life, life is tough. I would have been on time, but Julie and Julie had to bring a car home uh, for later. So and then she, of course, timed it perfectly for the time the show was starting. So I had to run
2: her back to work real quick. Oh, okay. All no right. problem. No problem. So, how is everybody? Jay-tastic. Dana, how have you been? Fantastic. Good. Yeah. You had to well. leave us uh, er, uh, from the last show on the early side. So, uh, I'm tell here us, for the uh, whole
5: show this time, except for the few minutes I missed in the front end.
2: Okay. So, how about uh, have you been doing any flying this week?
5: Oh, well, the update uh, let's see, what have I done this week? Um, no, I've done absolutely nothing. I actually am on a regular line this month. And uh, I've been off since the 29th of November. I start a uh, four-day next, yeah, four-day next week. I go out on Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, come back Saturday, early afternoon. And then I'm off for two days, and I go out Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Then I have a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then I go out on the 24th. So that weekend, I'm heading up to Boston. And 24th, I go out at about one in the afternoon. So I'm going to fly out of Boston on Monday morning on the 24th. And I get to spend a wonderful weekend at home in Boston with the family. So I really don't miss out on Christmas. And then I work six straight nice. days over Christmas, which, okay, whatever. I'm off New Year's. So it's spreading the Christmas tree. Yeah, it's uh, it's working out well for this upcoming month. I have absolutely not one app for my first line as a captain.
2: It worked out pretty, pretty freaking well and when you think about it christmas is really a holiday for christians and you're not christian
5: yes but i am married into a roman catholic family oh okay never mind i'm <laughs> gonna miss the, i'm gonna miss the seven fishes uh, i will mm-hmm. love and you know it, to be honest with you it's it's the cheer of the holiday it's the spirit of the holiday i absolutely love it's being with yeah. family which i enjoy especially uh My in-laws, her family, they're awesome to be with, enjoy the holiday with, and they've had such a uh, long tradition within their family uh, between the seven fishes, and that's the biggest thing for me. It's not even Christmas Day, it's Christmas Eve, and for those that don't know about seven fishes, it's an Italian, I believe it's an Italian Roman Catholic or Catholic tradition that on Christmas Eve, you have uh, various fishes, so uh, it's just I, I maybe it's a Boston tradition. I, I, I do know I've seen it other places. So I think it might be an Italian one I, I think, think it I right. think it's an Italian one. So it's it's very enjoyable. Yeah. And uh, this year I'm gonna miss out on it, but that's
2: okay. At least I'll be able to be home that weekend. So everything's cool. Great month. You can go to Captain D's and buy seven fish fillets and you'll have your seven fishes
5: yeah well, i was thinking about trying to get a meetup going but guess what <laughs> i doubt anybody's gonna be available in columbus because that's where i'm gonna be on christmas eve. on christmas day christmas, christmas eve day, and christmas,
2: day. christmas eve oh yeah columbus ohio well you never know you never know, you never, know. never know all but, right
5: uh, yeah that's my update how was how my timing was it about good
2: for the update before you end up into the coffee fund uh, I was just about to mention what's been going on with me. So, uh, yeah, perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Uh huh. Um, let's see. I'm on a four day trip right now and it's a pretty decent trip. The first day, just one leg up to Cincinnati, deadheaded to Bradley. Uh, yesterday was my long day. Uh, went from Bradley to Minneapolis Minneapolis to Philadelphia, Philadelphia to Detroit and got in late last night, not late last night, but I I felt late. It was dark. And uh, the nice thing about it is we got to stay at the Westin Hotel right at the uh, airport in uh, Detroit. So that's always kind of a treat uh, that you don't have to worry about getting in a van, going to the hotel and then meeting the next morning for the pickup time and driving in a van. You can just say, hey, I'll see you at the airplane tomorrow. And uh, that's always kind of a, as I said, a treat. For us. And uh, today, one leg here to Nashville from Detroit. I should have been in about an hour. Well, actually, we only ended up being about 25 minutes late in total, but we had a little issue. Everything was going swimmingly, uh, getting the pre flight accomplished in Detroit. And then uh, my first officer said, Hey, Jeff. Um, the, something's going on with the overhead enunciator panel. So it's kind of like the idiot light system in your car, although it's a little bit more complicated than that, uh, where we have all these messages that, uh, are, are displayed if something is going wrong or, or just information messages as well. And it has two small little screens where all this information is displayed and the screen on the left, well, the one closest to me was blank. And I've seen this before. Usually it just is a matter of pushing a couple um, up and down buttons and uh, uh, the uh, status queue button. Control-Alt-Delete. That's like Control-Alt-Delete. Yeah, Yeah. Control-Alt-Delete. I'm sorry. That's what we did afterwards. (laughs) and That's right. Yeah, after we tried that and it didn't work. Oh, that didn't work. And then it said, you know, threw up a little message that said the left OAP screen in off or whatever and went, Oh yeah, well, we know that. Uh, so we pulled a bunch of circuit breakers. I talked to people in Atlanta about, you know, which ones to pull that didn't do it. That usually fixes it if the other thing doesn't. And then they said, why don't you just turn the power off? So we did that. And, uh, that didn't help. And, uh, finally, uh, local maintenance came by and they took the panel out and disconnected two cannon plugs, reconnected them. That didn't help. And then finally they decided, you know what? I think the thing is broken. <laughs> so they uh said i said okay yeah uh so what are we gonna do and they said well they're checking to see if they have a part and they they of course didn't have the actual big panel uh in stock there in detroit but they had an airplane another md-90 in the hangar that was being worked on for something else i think and they said we can we can cannibalize that airplane and grab that part off of that and then drive it over so we got out of there. I guess we pushed back just shy of an hour after our scheduled pushback time. Uh, then, of course, we had to go to the you know, de-ice area because, you know, it's Detroit and it's December. And uh, they uh, de-iced us and then we were on our way. But as I said, uh, luckily, it wasn't a long flight and we got into Nashville um, only about 25 minutes late. So that was my day do- today. Say again? You did Well. Thank you. Uh, Just a warning to you all. um, I'm not sure what my signals like to you, but you guys are kind of breaking up on occasion. I think it's yours. Yeah, I'm sure it is because this is the hotel Wi-Fi. And uh, that's, you know, what we just have to deal with, I guess. So I do apologize up front for that. Okay. Um, I'm going to shift to, oh, I go back out again next week. uh, Another Tuesday through Friday. Oh, by the way, tomorrow, one leg back from Nashville in the morning. And I should be home you know, like at nine o'clock in the morning. Nice. So it's kind of a oh, nice trip. Yeah. You don't normally see this kind of trip in the in the pot there, do you? Uh, but uh, <laughs> I jumped on it. And next week is very similar. Um, not quite as nice as this one, but it's pretty good. Anywho, um, John Stewart wrote in and um, he, he had a like he you,
4: famous John Stewart from
2: uh not that John Stewart. Well, let's just pretend it was sure. him and he was very interested in listening to our show.
0: Hey, Who's John Stewart. But
2: Jon John Stewart, uh he uh, does a um a uh, a show on uh, television. Or he used he to used do to. a show. Yeah. Does he still do? Uh, yeah. No. Comedy Channel stuff. Oh, he thinks this is a daily show. Stuff, oh, this daily is show. comedy show, does he? <laughs> yeah, well, if you watch it, don't you laugh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, anyway, this one, is his last name is spelled a little bit differently. Oh, I, I see think. it now. So, I think it's, yeah. 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 So, uh, S-T-E-U-A-R-T. He had a question about, um, so he listens to the show using the wonderful Airline Pilot Guy app for your iPhone or Android device. And, uh, and I didn't realize this, but um, apparently you can only listen to the shows if you're connected, if you're online. Um, if you're not connected, then it doesn't store the, the show file on board the the phone. And so you can't listen to it if you, if you don't have a signal. And so I gave him some suggestions for apps that he can use that he can download the app and um, I mean, download the show and then he can listen to it uh, when he's offline. And that made me think, hmm. You know, we haven't really talked about this much at all, and uh, so I thought I'd just mention that there are many, many different ways to listen to our show. And uh, the first is the APG app. Again, that doesn't have the ability to play offline. Uh, same thing with the APG website. You can play it directly from the website. Um, uh, the company that we use to store our audio files, Libsyn, Liberated Syndication, they have a podcast app that you can download, and I think it's for both Android and uh, ios uh and then you, once you've downloaded their podcast it's called podcast source app and you can then look search for the airline pilot go show and that app allows you to uh to download episodes and then you can listen to it when you're flying or when you're away from a, a internet source uh apple Podcasts app same thing and that's a what we call a podcast client app that you can uh, download the shows and then listen offline um, I'm sure Android has some uh, apps as well to do the same thing. Uh, just uh, off the top of my head, uh, some other client podcasting client apps: Pocketcasts, Overcast, which is my personal favorite; Google Podcasts, and then also we are on a multitude of. You know, like that multitude of streaming services? Ten points. Uh, st- thank you. Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean. And now, and this is news, and this just happened very recently, uh, they invited our show to be one of the beta tests, uh, podcasting tests on Pandora. Woo-hoo. So if you're a Pandora user, you can find our show on Pandora. And uh, if you want to watch video as well as audio, you can watch us on the YouTube channel and just look for... Uh, uh, it's actually my name, uh, Jeff Nielsen, I think is the channel for the YouTube. You can go on YouTube and do a search for the airline pilot guy show and find us there. Now a warning, <laughs> the, uh, recent, and I, when I say recent within the last couple of years, uh, since we've been doing this live, uh, streaming on YouTube, uh, it is, uh, not a edited nor polished show. It's, uh, what we call APG in the raw and uh, it's mostly what you'd hear on the audio only podcast, but you'll get some extras <laughs> like when we screw things up and we have technical issues and when we take breaks and, and we have some what pre-show banter and then usually some post-show banter as well. So if you're interested in seeing more of the behind the scenes thing and hanging out with the great people in our chat room, you hear us talking about it all the time on the audio uh, only version, talking about uh, people in the, po- in, the, uh, in the chat room. And uh, we have that going on. And uh, and if you have a chance to do it, uh, if you happen to be in a place that you can watch the show live and log on to the YouTube channel and join the folks in the chat room, I think you'll really have a good time. It's a great bunch of people and some not so great people as well. I'm just looking over there at the list of we people. We won't
4: name names, though. I mean, we don't yeah, name I'm not going to gonna tell bad. you which
2: yeah, ones are getting You Have good to take the calf from the weight, but... <laughs> yes. It's biblical. <laughs> um, anyway, so anything uh, anything to add or subtract from, you know, how to how to listen to our show? Uh, it sounds I, like we're becoming really
5: popular. Or at least you're becoming popular.
2: I don't know about that. I mean, think about it. There are some other aviation podcasts that are on all these things, too. And come <laughs> on. I haven't, no, I
0: haven't just worked kidding. out, if you can get it through Amazon uh Echo yet. can you um, I don't know. You
4: might need a you might need a plug in or whatever they call it the um Yeah, it
5: is usually defined as to a
2: greater degree up <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> I I think my she's my microphone answering you now. <laughs> <laughs> now they do have what are the what the Amazon Echo has that thing where they have the like, um, like the little snippets. I forgot what they well, call so that. I
4: was, I actually got a notification from I don't really listen to um it's not a podcast, it's a blog that I follow. And somehow the guy who writes this blog was able to uh, arrange it so that if you ask uh, Alexa or Amazon Echo to uh, read his blog, uh, the Echo will read it to you. He chose a nice oh. British gentleman's voice to read it in. He is not British, which is
2: kind of hilarious. You know, but- I would suppose that if you said, hey, whatever, name. That you want to say. I don't Three. want to mess up anybody's uh, listen to this device. Okay.
0: That's yeah. my Amazon Echo. Go. And all I did was say play the airline pilot guy show podcast.
2: Oh, Woo-hoo. Wow. I could work out how to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> echo, <laughs> stop <Unplug> playing. <laughs> stop.
5: Yeah, but I have In a funny anyway, feeling Nick's Echo can't hear us.
4: Yeah, it can't. So
5: hmm.
4: unfortunate.
2: Well that's a problem. Telepathy, maybe. Yeah.
4: Someone else's echo is going crazy right now.
2: <laughs> hey Siri.
0: Don't stop. Stop. Stop.
5: <laughs> oh, mine's in my pocket thing. Oh, brilliant.
0: I managed to stop it. That took some effort. <laughs> Speaking of Siri, just, let me uh, shut tell
4: her up.
0: Uh yeah, I did, but she couldn't hear me over the noise of Jeff. <laughs> uh. Uh. Hey Siri.
2: Play the Airline Pilot Guy show. What are you talking about?
4: (laughs) Okay. Airline Pilot Guy. Aviation podcast now playing.
5: I'm Radio Roger, and you're listening to the Airline Pilot
4: Guy show.
2: Yay. Um,
4: technology.
2: Unbelievable. Yes, we love it. Anyway, so there you go. Now you, Lots of different ways to uh, to listen to us and uh, also engage with us if you'd like. See, now you enforce me to look at my phone, and now all of a sudden, see, I'm, I'm drinking this nice
5: bone broth for my lunch, but I get that Chick fil A email order a cup of peppermint cheer, which is their peppermint um, peppermint uh, stick. Uh, what are they called? Uh, the milkshake. milkshake. Yeah. The milkshake. Oh my God, those things are to die for. So now you've made me really hungry just by talking about
2: technology. Thanks. Well, please uh, accept our apology for that. That's okay.
4: Yeah. I'm still cra- craving Chinese food from the other day. I think Nick will know what I'm talking about.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my man, Micah, and his y- yon, yen, I should say, for bitter Chinese. It was great, wasn't
4: it? It was. Make sure you listen to the— Wait a minute. We're calling it Christmas yeah. extravaganza.
0: Yen is Japanese. Oh well, it is very good. <laughs> it is, it's it's su- such a stupid thing. One yen. I mean, it's like an aluminium washer. Yeah, but there you go. Hey, hey me, me and me and uh,
5: I've got to tell you, being from the northeast and of the same uh, beliefs, uh, I understand exactly why you love Chinese food. It's just, it just seems to be a uh, a thing in the northeast for us. Well, I love it, too. Well, listen,
4: make sure you listen to the PTUK Christmas Extravaganza, because at least that part of it is definitely worth listening to. <laughs> at least that part. <laughs> I can't speak I yeah. for anything I may or may not have contributed to the show that day. Well, I'll,
5: I'll, have, okay. I'll have plenty of time this evening driving down to just north of Orlando. I delayed my departure this afternoon so I could be a part of this. So I'll be driving into the wee hours, so that will, I'm sure, keep me entertained
2: on the oh, drive down but it down won't there. be
4: released until the until Christmas.
2: Oh, man. I was getting Delayed a Delayed graduation. Hey, Dana? Are you, do you have uh, your recorder running, Dana? I do. Okay, awesome, because I'm, I'm, this is going to be one of those shows where I think I'm going to have to use everybody's individual tracks.
5: Uh. And, and to give you a point of reference, <clears throat> Jeff, uh, obviously, um, I didn't do my clack, but just when you started talking about your hotel internet Wi-Fi being intermittent, just
2: at the end of that is okay. exactly where I started my recorder. Okay, good. That's a good point of reference. Thank you, um, James Taylor. By the way, we have all kinds of celebrity uh, right. people in our chat room. That's another reason to be in our chat room and and watch our live mm. recording. James Taylor uh, says that he asked Amazon for the airline pilot guy podcast, and he got "Diamonds Are Forever."
0: <laughs> oh well, we I are like that diamonds. song. So <laughs> yeah, oh, that's quite okay. man,
2: I, I think, think. Anyway. I
5: think all the guys think about Doctor Steph now. Yeah. I'm going to give her a diamond.
4: She already has Uh, one. I do. Yes. It's plenty.
2: All right. Um, And one more uh, administrative note. Um, Let's see. Timo, our German-Japanese, or German in Japan, working on his PhD in aviation or something, uh, sent us some audio feedback last week. He said he's going to be in uh, the Jacksonville, Florida area, I believe he said, uh, St. Augustine. Um, yeah, he may be, maybe there right now, actually, I think he said the sixth through the 12th or something like Mm -hmm. that. Um, and he was asking uh, for suggestions, places to fly, destinations to fly for a $100 hamburger. And I just wanted to thank dispatcher Mike for following up with Timo. And so he has gotten in contact and given him some suggestions for, um,
4: dispatcher Mike is much more intelligent than I am because I'm a member of that same group too. So I probably could have gone there to ask but
2: which group is that
4: it's a it's a facebook group of east,
2: east coast pilots
4: yeah so if you okay. live on the east coast of the united states and you're a pilot it's a good group to be part of but good resource yeah. for there you go knowing some of those local things so my thanks Excellent. my thanks to him because i called him out on the show to provide some answers and uh
2: you did much more re- he came he through much more for resourceful than i was so. yeah He's a big supporter of our show, and we're a big supporter of his as well. Flying and life. Oh yeah, East Coast Pri-
4: East Coast Private Pilots, I think, is the group name.
2: Okay, very good. All right. Anything else before we move on with the coffee fund? I'm good. All right. None for me. And since uh, we are in the Christmas season ish, actually Advent, but we're getting kind of in that Christmas spirit. Right? Yeah, but we're actually gonna- in Hanukkah right now okay well i don't have a hanukkah song so i'm going to play this adam sandler i don't happen to have that one available right now but i did find this just a little while ago and it is a uh, from the youtube audio library and that means it is copyright free so i won't get dinged for playing somebody's work without authorization So we're gonna talk about the coffee fund, which is your way to support the show financially. And one way to do it is using the coffee fund classic method. And that is basically our PayPal donation page. And since the last show, Jason Payne contributed. So thank you, sir, for participating in the coffee fund cadre, the coffee fund group. And the other way to participate in the coffee fun cadre is to become a patron of our show via patreon.com and since the last show hamish keb or hamish i always mispronounce that um he has been a patron of ours but he bumped up his contribution 30 percent, went from a dollar to a dollar 30 per episode so thank you very much for doing that hamish And if you want to learn more about the coffee fund, head over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. Stand by for news. Our first item in the news folder is an incident. An LL Boeing 787-900 departed Tel Aviv on March 29th, 2018. So it was uh, a little while ago.
4: Is there such a thing as a 787-900? Is it dash nine?
2: I'm sorry. A 787-9. Just making sure we
4: stay on top of that.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you. We we need all the help we can get. A 787-9. Uh, registration And if, if you're not sure if it's a 900 or a dash nine, uh, look up 4 X-ray dash Echo Delta Bravo, and it'll give you all the information that you care to know about this particular airframe. It was performing flight uh, 27 from Tel Aviv, Israel to Newark, New Jersey, with 282 passengers and 18 crew. It was climbing out of Tel Aviv when the captain noticed that the FMS indicated a substantially higher optimal flight level than anticipated and planned. The captain then examined the reasons for this and discovered that a zero fuel weight of 40 tons lower than the actual zero fuel weight had been entered into the FMS. The captain immediately understood that the takeoff performance computation had also been wrong, concluded to the severity of the occurrence, notified the airline's operations center and the fleet manager, who in turn involved Israel's Accident Investigation Unit. The aircraft continued to Newark for a safe landing without further incident. And the reason why we're talking about it now is that on November 26th, so just last month, the accident investigation, the AIAI, AI released their final report. And basically, I'm not going to read the whole thing. We'll have the uh, link to this in the show notes. And this is from the uh, Aviation Herald. Uh, the captain. Uh, When entering the data in the flight management system, as mentioned before, uh, the uh, the weight, the zero fuel weight, which is the weight of the airplane and passengers and crew and everything but fuel, basically, Um, that's a figure that we use. Uh, And then, of course, you add the fuel to that and then you get your gross weight Uh, was now, I guess, a ton in Israel is about 2000 pounds. Uh, That's what I've been kind of my rule of thumb. So let's say approximately 80,000 pounds or maybe more, uh, less than the figure that he should have used. He said that he did notice when he was on the takeoff roll, uh, that when the computed speeds for that, uh, much lower weight occurred and he initiated the, uh, the, uh, the rotation that it seemed a little bit more sluggish than he was used to. By the way, all four crew members, Uh, in the cockpit that day were all relatively new on this jet Uh, that I guess they had only gotten that um, that fleet uh, at LL um, recently and not none of them had a lot of experience on the uh, on the airplane so that was part of the contribution to this uh, incident but apparently nobody noticed that he entered the wrong data the cross check I guess didn't catch that And uh, as I said, when he was rotating the airplane, it was very sluggish. I guess the 787-9 has a a system, uh, which is one of the benefits of a fly-by-wire type of system, uh, where the computers can say, you know, um, I'm not going to let you rotate the nose any more than you've rotated it, because if you do, you're going to drag the tail, you're going to have a tail strike, which can be a very dangerous thing. So what happened was it lifted off, but it didn't climb very quickly for a while because what the airplane did was allowed uh, the uh, engines to uh, accelerate the airplane to a safe speed before it allowed it to resume kind of a more normal profile, climb profile. So that, I guess, was his first indication that something was a little bit amiss. And then the second thing is when they were checking for their optimal altitude, it said they could make it up to flight level 380. And he kind of knew from his limited experience that this airplane with this particular flight segment usually could only make it up to flight level 340, 34,000 feet. And so he thought, hmm, something doesn't seem quite right. Why is it that we can get all the way up to flight level 380? and then uh, when he realized that he had made the mistake uh he alerted people and kind of fessed up and probably had to because i think nowadays with the with the uh, systems that we have on airplanes it was going to let people know anyway right
4: yeah well and i'm sure this is one of those things where you're you're really better off just saying hey look this is what happened we all realize it let's figure out why it happened make sure it doesn't happen again
2: could have been a very you know yeah. if it'd been an older airplane without this uh kind of a safety system uh, to prevent a tail strike i mean well, it could have been a really it, bad who knows
4: interview. what the calculations were that led to that being off but fortunately it wasn't off by more right so you need to figure out why that, you're missing the cross check there that would catch an inaccurate calculation
2: right and you know we've been talking on this show um in past a few episodes about um errors made in entering data in the flight management uh, computers and uh, that is one of the reasons why I'm kind of glad that, uh, Acme uses a system where, uh, our data is computed for us by a separate department in our company. It's like a centralized department that takes all the data and basically sends us all the performance data via our ACARS printer. And then once that is, uh, transmitted to us, then we use some of the performance figures for our takeoff speeds and that kind of thing. Do you ever, um, do you ever
4: double check that data or recalculate it?
2: No. no, we don't have any real way of doing that. But we do know, uh, Dana and I can tell you that uh, there are certain, you know, like, we'll get the preliminary data from our flight plan, like our zero fuel weight, um, you know, the the passenger load that they're expecting, cargo, that kind of thing. And we, when we set up our uh, flight management system computer, uh, be, you know, during our pre-flight uh, in, uh, duties, and then when we get the numbers and if the zero fuel weight figure is considerably more or less than that is something that Dana and I go, Hmm, <laughs> well that, why is it like so much different than what they thought it was going to be originally? And then usually it's something like, well, only 10 fewer passengers showed up than we were expecting. And that's why we're a little bit lighter than they were anticipating us to be.
5: Yeah, And another thing is, you know, they've, They've kind of, I don't know how you feel about this, Jeff, but used to be that they used to tell you how many passengers you have on the airplane so you could actually compare that to the weight data record that comes off the printer. Um, but a lot of agents do do. Uh, it's not required anymore, and they don't do that anymore. They won't give you the number, and they find it as a uh, inconvenience. But that was another check that I thought was really good to compare: that the numbers that we're getting in the computer system versus the numbers that are, uh, you know, actually on the aircraft. You know, gives us a more accurate account as to, you know, that the numbers that we are getting are in fact valid. So. Um, <clears throat> I, you know, you have trust system now. I mean, in, in, in the old days they would sit there and they would key in all the, all the passengers that have been onboarded you know, they, you know, show them on via their seat number. Now it's, it's basically just like if you go to the, uh, the cash register at any grocery store, you scan it, you scan your barcode and you walk, you know, walk through with your, uh, with your goods. I mean, that's basically what you're doing with passengers in cargo now. So the numbers you have to touch at, at that we that we see are very, are very accurate, Dr. Steph, at least as far as I can tell. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, we actually, you know, one additional step that I think most, uh, most people on the 88 do, you know, most captains do for sure is, well, you know, we have a speed card, you know, gives our, gives our, all of our numbers, our, <clears throat> you know, our flappy track speed and clean speed and et cetera, et cetera. So when we're setting up the FMS, we'll look at that number and, Set up that card, and they will give us the general ballpark with what the what the numbers should be too. So it's another sort of a non-official check versus the a balancing check to to see if the the numbers that we're getting are putting us in the right ballpark.
0: So what's interesting with this was the captain entered the wrong figure, and he then realized he'd entered the wrong figure, uh, and he corrected himself. But when he re-typed in the new figure he he actually re-entered the wrong figure a second time Um, the first officer beside him, whose job it was to monitor and check his entry didn't check either inputs and there was another captain on the flight deck who heard the first captain who was doing the typing say, oh I made a mistake there and and re-entered, so he just assumed he'd put the correct figure in the second time, no one actually checked that figure to make sure that it was right. So there were three guys there who all missed what is a a critical, safety-critical number going into the system. Yes.
4: I have to take myself off mute to respond to things. uh.
0: (laughs) You know, you thought you would have
2: known that by now. Do we need to brief that every time? Safety-critical selection
4: there. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. no, Is that I, agree. Kind I think of like taking
5: the cover off the needle before you use it.
4: Yeah, I don't seem to have trouble remembering to do that.
1: Okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting aside there, though. They, um, I don't know if it's different vendors that we use for some of our uh medical equipment, uh, recently, but the trays still come that we use for the uh, procedures still come with the exact same equipment on it, same needles and everything, but they've been changing the color of the needle hubs which is really kind of distracting because I'm used to looking for certain colors for certain size needles. And it's just interesting that yeah. that's not standard. I thought that was fairly standard because I've never seen these different colored needle hubs before.
2: Keeps you on your toes. So,
4: you know, thinking of uh, ways to prevent making, I mean, it'd be very uh-huh. obvious if you picked up the wrong one.
0: I well, don't you know, you know. They got those ones off eBay. <laughs> <You> don't <know. laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They tell me size clearance. doesn't matter. Uh, Overstock. <laughs> uh,
4: never mind, I'm not even going to go there. Um, I had something to say to Nick about all that a while back, and now I don't remember, but um,
0: Check, sorry. check, double check. It's funny, isn't it, because uh, we get so many tasks to do. Sometimes it's really hard to slow yourself down for the really important ones, because you're working on a, a usually a pretty short time period to get everything done. And uh, it, it really takes some effort to say to yourself, hang on a minute, let's go back to normal speed now because these are bloody important. Let's make sure we get them right. And uh, and I, sorry, I'm Jeff, sorry, sorry, yeah, go to, ahead. No I, no, I interrupted you. I'm, I apologize. No, no, I was just finishing. I was just saying, and this crew, uh, they were under a, a severe time constraint and not all the pilots were on the flight deck when they started. Uh, and there were a lot of distractions for the captain. But that is the time really to throw your Uh, your departure time out of the window and just say, look, that's not important anymore. It's a really tough thing to do as well and just say, look, let's just make sure we get all this right today.
2: You're so right. Uh, And you have to deliberately force yourself to slow down. Uh, Today was a good case in point for me. After all this delay and keeping everybody informed of, you know, step by step, what was happening, what we think is going to happen, when we think we're going to be going. And then finally, when they said, oh, OK, everything's fixed. And then, oh, OK, you know, let's go. And then, I thought, OK, now we time still to need to do, do these things. Yeah. And now we have to kind of like make sure we're doing everything we're supposed to do, because we're still really in a hurry sort of to get these people to to Nashville as quickly as we can. However. As Captain Nick just said, that's when usually you make the mistakes when you're rushing like that. That's all well and good,
4: but, you know, it's interesting, too, from the uh, passenger standpoint in those cases, because most passengers, I would say, are not thinking about that type of stuff at all. You know, it's the only thing on their mind is, oh, my gosh, I'm going to miss my connection. I'm going to miss whatever it is that I'm trying to get to my destination for. Um, Yeah, I saw that from the passenger standpoint, actually, just this past weekend when we went to Tampa, coming back, a lovely Airbus. We. I don't know exactly what happened, but push back from the gate, starting up the number two engine, there was some sort of computer fault or some something similar to like what you had happen today, Jeff. I don't know. Um, so we had to go back to the gate to get it, to get the mechanics to come take a look at it. Took us forever to get back to a gate for some reason. We were actually like just trying to get out of other, you know, aircraft way for a little while. Um, I don't know why they didn't have another gate for us. We had just pushed back. Who knows? Anyway. So that whole process took about 45 minutes and the guy across the aisle from me the whole time was just on the phone with the airline, panicking about how he's going to miss his connection. What is he going to do? What are they going to do to compensate him? Blah, 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 blah. I was like, dude, like just chill. chill. Man. <laughs> it's going to yeah, be fine. We'll get there. It's going to be fine.
2: <laughs> Let's make sure I they actually... take
4: the time to figure out whatever the fault is, get it fixed or not get it fixed. Everyone's going to be safe here on the ground for the moment. It's fine
2: that's what i usually say welcome aboard oops hack me 1443 same day service to nashville tennessee <laughs> i thought
5: you know <clears> that's want i finish with this on i think this uh, the story the i think the big thing in the story that we're talking about here is is it's amazing you're talking about a brand new uh, and very new technology airplane the 787 it's amazing how such a small error can be such a huge, um, huge deal. And, you know, as you mentioned right at the beginning, Jeff, if it was your, you know, your aircraft, my aircraft, you know, we're probably dragging the uh, the tail. So the, the, the benefit of the new aircraft and with all the great technology, it does take a lot of the load off the pilots, but it also gives you some some protections, and that's where the advantage truly was, is that even though there was an error made, the aircraft was smart enough to recognize it and um, and prevent,
2: prevent any type of major issue going on. So. Yep. so true, so true. All right, let's move on to the second item, item B. Uh, this involved a an Airbus A320 at Macau in China. Capital Airlines, Beijing. Um, Registration, Bravo 6952. Performing flight 5759 from Beijing to Macau. And they were on approach to Macau's runway 34 and into the flare when the aircraft encountered wind shear. Quotes. Um, And I think maybe they actually did, looking at some of the winds here uh, later in this uh, account. Uh, They touched down hard. The crew initiated a go-around, received indications of a left engine, that's a CFM56 failure, and they were suspecting gear damage. They declared a mayday. The uh, aircraft diverted to Shenzhen, China, and landed on runway 34 about 40 minutes after the rejected landing. The aircraft became disabled on the runway with both nose wheels missing from the nose gear strut. Didn't we just talk about something like this last year Yeah, we episode? had the pictures on the last show. Mm-hmm. We yeah. didn't have any blurb. Oh, okay. It was was the this same the same? Oh, wow, the same instance. Okay. Well,
0: I but I, I was intrigued that. at the time. I said, if someone could tell me how hard they landed, and now we know. So exactly how hard did they land,
2: Nick? Three point four G. Whoa! That's a lot. <laughs> uh, that's a hard touchdown. Uh, that was well. Was that the first time, the second time, or the third time? Because I think they touched down hard on the mains one time, and then they touched down hard again a second time on the mains, and the third time, which is the the charm. Uh, they touched down on the nose gear first, and that's what basically destroyed the uh, yeah, the think, nose wheels.
0: I think 3.4G was the worst and probably the third. Uh, I think you're right. Impact.
2: Yeah. And how that thing, <laughs> that's testament, testament to how sturdy that nose gear structure is, because that is a heck of a hard uh, impact on it. And no wonder the nose wheels um, basically... Shredded, yeah, and uh, were ingested by both engines. Mm. Uh, I, guess I guess maybe that's
4: why they had a uh, engine failure, engine fault.
2: Yeah, yeah. I could. Um, the witness. This is the thing that I'm wondering. They were landing on runway three four. The winds were 170 to 190 degrees, uh, gusting to 22 knots. I'm thinking that doesn't. I, you know, I've never flown into this airport. Maybe there's some kind of a restriction that you can only land one direction, but. That doesn't seem like the correct direction to land with winds like this.
0: I would agree. I've, I've, uh, and I, you can land both directions. I'm almost certain at Macau, it's not a problem. I don't know whether there's a restriction on the approach on the other way, but uh, I'm looking uh, two two zero seventeen,
2: and it looks like it was varying too. Like when there's one of these is like. One hundred and sixty to two hundred and ninety. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, and it's a midst of a thunderstorm, and thunder showers.
0: Fifteen to twenty-five. <laughs> Any yeah. direction at fifteen to twenty-five knots. Wow, horrid. Um, yeah, winds were not favourable. No. So uh, yeah, I I have to say I, I'm I'm kind of in two minds as to whether it was the right thing to leave with an engine failure and possibly with the other engine damaged. Whether he should have. You know, stayed and had another go and just plunked it on the ground there, or whether he was right to go to Shenzhen. Um, Interesting because, of course, he could easily have lost that second engine on the way. Right. Yeah. Difficult decision.
4: Yeah. Well, I bet they didn't realize that they had an issue with the second engine potentially. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I know they uh, wrinkled the fuselage because uh, I've seen a picture, another picture, not here, that we're looking at uh, of the side of the fuselage uh, showing uh, de- deformation, deformation of the skin there where the uh, the fuselage is bent. And that's usually an indication
2: that we're not going to be able to use this airplane ever again.
0: Yeah, it wasn't very old, was it?
2: <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, well. All right, well. Now we know what happened. Um, Item C, another Airbus, an A320-214, Frontier Airlines, Uh, flight 9260, a return to land at Las Vegas McCarran International Airport. Um, After the number two, it was a CFM-56 engine again, um, number two engine fan cowls separated and the reverser C-duct doors opened on takeoff. We have a nice little picture of it from a right-side passenger window uh, with the, uh, you can see a lot of the engine exposed because the cowling is up and torn off. Uh, We have some uh, audio, too, so you want to listen to that? Yeah.
6: All right. right. I have a light back here, Frontier flight 260, maintain those two right, before take off. Frontier, to maintain Frontier 1 2204, make right, take off. Frontier like 260, 260,
1: Frontier 260, with the at 2.5 or out of that, of Frontier Flight 260, Las Vegas. Departure radar contact.
6: Frontier Flight
1: 1096.
6: Go ahead. You're the only Frontier out there. We just got a phone call saying there's something off your right engine. There's a number two engine fan call latch. Latch. Something uh, something is undone? Can you check to see if that's here? Absolutely. Uh, We'll uh, pull off to the left here, and we'll call our maintenance.
2: Thank you. By the way, that is not... The incident aircraft. That's another Frontier that has not yet taken off.
6: Good. Um, yeah, because I got your company that's three miles off of the departure, and it could have been him, but uh, of course we want to make sure it's not you. So if you need to pull over, then uh, you want to make the left turn here for the Quebec one there. Yeah, we'll do that right here, uh, Quebec one, Frontier
7: 1096.
6: Spirit okay, Wings 169, the 6, going to Bravo 23. Oh. Spirit Wings 169, Las Vegas down. Flight right turn, use Bravo 6 and a Charlie, call the ramp. Probably six, Charlie to the Ram Spirit one six nine, and uh, it did look like when that frontier took off that there was something on the right wing. I couldn't make it out though. Oh, on his right wing? Yeah, if it, uh, if it was a call, well, that would make sense. But uh, just kind of at a fast glance, that's what it looked like. And Frontier Flight ten ninety six. I don't know if you heard uh, the Spirit say that he thinks that it that he thinks that it's uh, your company that departed that has something with his right wing. But nine ninety seven, two six, right, let's take
1: off. Yeah, departure, frontier, uh, departure Frontier 260, I think we got something wrong with one of our engines. Flight, uh, they're saying there's something on fire or something out there. Frontier Flight 260, someone in the airport said that you're, they just told us no. Your second engine cowling appears open or something like that. Okay, we need to uh, declare emergency back to the airport. Frontier Flight 260, roger, the L2 climb, maintain 7000, fly present heading. Would you like to way 26 six left? Yeah, it'd be great. 7,000 Frontier.
3: No, 1675, ready to go.
1: 1675, ready right to go. go up to the full length, 1675, wind check six, right, take off. Take off, two
3: four zero four. 240, 4926, right for takeoff. Takeoff, 26, right,
1: go there. Right, Frontier flight 260, turn left, heading 0, 070, 0, exit frontway, 26 left. 0, 070, 0, Frontier 260. Uh-huh. 1021, climb main flight level 190. 190, stop the road, 1021. Frontier Flight 260 clear to Las Vegas Airport via Radar Vectors. Climbing, maintain 7,000. When able, say fuel remaining and tolls on board. Yeah, fuel remaining, we got uh, 26, and there's 166 on board. Frontier Flight 260, right of that, continue to the left turn, heading 070, and contact approach on 135.0. 350, Frontier
2: 260. Well, I was going to play a little bit more of it, uh, but somebody takes off on that runway and saying, yeah, you got fought on the runway. I was kind of surprised that they continued to uh, use that runway for takeoff after they had reports that part of the cowling was thrown off the uh, number two engine. Yeah, you
4: think that'd be one of the first things they would.
2: Yeah. And the other thing is, uh, did you notice um, you could tell the the concern in the uh, voice of the uh, Frontier flight that had the engine issue. Yeah, on the initial
4: when they came back and said, we've got uh, something wrong. Yeah,
2: it was not not as normal, calm, collected kind of voice, I'm sure. Um, This is not the first time, and we've talked about several of these incidents involving this particular engine on this particular airframe. Uh, The cowling latches are kind of hard to see from what we can understand, you almost have to get underneath
0: well, the engine yeah. to make sure. I uh, because they, the the uh, Airbus cowlings have uh, opened in the past, but they're not the only ones. Seven three cowlings have done the same. Right. I'm sure we had, but uh, Airbus have come out with a modification uh, which is in the process of being fitted. I guess to all, all of the aircraft, which require additional latches to be uh, checked. Um, We already uh, have a maintenance procedure so that every time the cowl is open, it's written in the tech log and has to be written in the tech log when the cowling is secured again. Um, So we try and mitigate it with that. And I just make my knees dirty every time I do a walk around by getting on on my knees and peering under the engine. That's the only way to see whether the uh, latches are all flush. Uh, and make sure everything's secure so even even on your jet, huh i mean it, it's, they hang that low Uh yeah, absolutely, yeah, the three thirty wow. engines are pretty low, so uh hmm. uh I you know with with the amount of publicity and the number of incidents, i'm just amazed that guys aren't doing their walk-rounds uh, sufficiently. well and the engineers still missing these checks yeah,
2: I know that every time I go and do an exterior inspection, I pay particular attention to the the cowling latches just to make sure that they're all the way they're supposed to be. Yeah.
5: Yeah, and, and, and one of the things with, with this is, you know, they had talked to another frontier aircraft that was sexy and out and obviously somebody somewhere along the line had uh, had some way, some way had, you know, opened up or, or used those latches so I'm, I'm guessing it's probably maintenance and they probably couldn't remember or missed the procedure that they didn't close the latches and they called the
2: wrong aircraft and the other I think the reason why they called the wrong aircraft is because somebody up in the tower cab got information that there was a frontier flight that had a cowling separate and so they weren't sure who it which was Frontier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
4: Yeah I don't know who saw it initially. It was yeah. just kind of secondhand information at that point, I think.
2: Yeah. I don't know if it was
5: the company calling or, you know, because that has happened that the company calls and says, "Hey, can mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. have uh, this flight come back or you know this airplane come back because we we forgot something or didn't do something." So that's.
2: But the bottom line is, regardless of there was maintenance performed on it or not, you know, you, we all know that the ultimate responsibility is that the pilot performing the exterior walk around the uh, inst- exterior inspection is responsible for ensuring that all those things are properly latched. And that's the reason why Captain Nick has to buy uniform pants uh, every couple of months, because he
0: wears out the knees. Is that the only reason why he's on yeah. his knees? Well, I, I, I wear shorts, actually. <laughs> um, there you go. <laughs> well, when you With go, go Bermuda to the all the time. The yeah, shorts. I do. Yeah. <laughs> he flies for a Berm- Bermudian company. There's there you saying. go. <laughs> But uh, no, wow. I, there there were a couple of interesting things. Like You're quite right, Jeff. Using the same runway when they'd had this problem was a surprise. Um, and, uh, I, you know, uh, uh, I, I was just amazed at the, uh, the, not the damage so much, but the dramatic effect of those uh, cowlings open. The, the engine looks like it's disintegrated. It's like a Lego model that's coming apart, isn't it?
2: Now, I'm not sure, but this may be one of the first times that uh, Cal separation also included the, uh, the C-duck, the uh, engine reverser doors um, opening as well, which, you know, made it even worse. Yeah, I think. it
4: gives yeah. it a really strange appearance, doesn't it? It almost yeah, looks it like does. it's not aligned correctly. But
2: it does. Yeah, it looks out- askew, it looks doesn't it?
4: more of a <clears> visual <throat> illusion, optical yeah. illusion.
5: And to think about all that drag, up I'd hate to have thought if that, that engine on that side had quit. How much? Mm-hmm. How much more difficult that aircraft would have been?
0: Yeah, Vegas is not a nice place to be doing a, uh, a single engine uh, go around or takeoff and uh, approach. Um, it's high, it's hot, um, yeah. and uh, they'll be reasonably heavy just after takeoff. So, you know, not a nice place. If you're going to have this problem, you want to be somewhere low and cold, not Vegas.
4: Well, they got lucky sure. with November. Hopefully, it wasn't too hot.
2: Yeah, yeah, but what happens in Vegas? Stays, stays in, Vegas. in Vegas. That's what you have going for you there. <laughs> At least I didn't go to Shenzhen. Yeah, <laughs> they don't have the same. let divert motto. to. to Shenzhen. <laughs> what happens in Shenzhen? No, that that's doesn't not what. It. Okay. Um, <laughs> item D. Uh, this is the first time reading of this. Uh, let's see. Let's put this in here for us. Air in, actually, I should put everything in there. Um, An Air India Boeing 787-8, also uh, known as the 800 Mm -hmm. for me. (laughs) Registration, Victor Tango A-N-E, performing flight 314 from Delhi to Hong Kong. Um, Let's see. They were on an eyeless approach to Hong Kong's Runway 7 right at about 614 in the morning. ATIS had warned of possible glide slope fluctuations. When the aircraft descended to 200 feet above ground level, about 2.6 nautical miles short of the runway, until the uh, Enhanced Ground Proximity Warning System, the EPGW, EGPWS, not easy for me to say, issued a warning. The crew initiated a go-around, positioned for another approach, and landed safely on the second approach to runway 7 right. Let's see, what was the weather like just out of? Yeah, they flew
0: at two two and uh, over ten K. So, good visibility
2: and no low cloud. Oh, hello, Did, oh, you know what? This I think this particular uh, airplane doesn't have windows, so they couldn't uh, see anything outside. So. So yeah, I mean, yep.
1: why
0: stare at like the instruments?
2: <laughs> so, two hundred feet above the ground, you're normally um, what about? Half a mile from the from yeah, to, well, yeah. half a mile to touchdown, half, to a mile, and they were two point six nautical miles. Yeah. You know, if they were looking out the window, they may have thought, "Hmm, looks kind of low."
0: Well, let's just reason. let the autopilot fly us into the water. That's the other one, or the seawall at uh, San
2: Francisco. Yeah, that's no. True. I'm sorry, I'll that was the a thrust. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> that was yeah, that was. They were manually flying that one. Well,
5: maybe they. had, uh, It is zero six hundred. So maybe the sun hadn't wiping up, and they were over a dock area, or you know, uh, a, a hmm. you know, a, a, a terrain that yeah. it, they couldn't really tell
2: how close they were until they got the jib was. But clearly, they weren't looking at the instruments.
4: Dana wants to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm
2: like no, they it. were looking at they were looking at their instruments. Unfortunately, they weren't looking at anything but the bad glide slope indication. Apparently, well, yeah. Oh or just yeah, they, they were looking at all their instruments and taking in the big picture, I think, yeah that yeah.
4: situational picture, right. awareness thing that we talk about.
2: yeah, caught flying an wow. airplane. Yeah, well, it's um, luckily, yeah, luckily the the ground proximity warning system um, fired off, and they thought, ooh, that doesn't sound good. We should probably go around because you know you can always,
7: you can always
2: go around. All right. Um, so that was a boo-boo. Uh, here's another one that um, is new to me. Uh looks like some kind of a military mid-air collision between an F-18 fighter jet and a KC-130, both uh, Marine Corps air uh, vehicles. And they think they may have been performing some night aerial refueling and... Looks like they had some kind of an uh, incident where they collided or something. I, it doesn't say anything about the 130 in here, so I'm assuming that the KC-130 was okay. But it looks like the F-18 uh, ended up uh, crashing and they had to eject. And one of the pilots apparently has passed. And the other one is, um, I think, in, in fair condition, it says, uh, the update. Um
5: it's I just want little... to know what it what what it means by competent medical personnel.
4: Not me. As
2: opposed to incompetent personnel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I
5: mean, it's been declared deceased. I mean and, and not to make light of obviously the, the terrible circumstance of this person uh, passing away, but it'd been declared deceased by competent medical personnel.
4: Hmm. Maybe hmm. just the uh translation from the Japanese uh...
2: That might be as well, yeah. Original Japanese,
0: yeah. Nick, aerial refueling at night is dangerous, isn't it? Oh, it's certainly not a simple task and not one to be done uh, um, in a carefree manner because, uh, obviously, you're putting yourself very close to an extremely large airplane. There's a lot of wake. If you get yourself out of position, you can get uh, twisted around in the uh, wake behind uh, an aircraft. Even though it's uh, only a C-130, there are bigger aircraft that you can refuel behind. Um, the visual cues are, are very limited and um, it's very easy to get severe cases of the leans, which uh, I perhaps ought it to explain. It's a form of disorientation where um, you uh, you just your brain gives you a bit of a false way up and you're convinced you're in a hard turn or perhaps straight level when you're not. Um, it's just a... You know, um, misinformation coming from your inner ear, your sense of balance. And it's very hard sometimes to dismiss that. Um, But uh, so so we, we were always very, everyone's always very careful when you're maneuvering around uh, and trying to do air-to-air refueling. Um, of course, sometimes you end up in cloud, in which case not only you night, you're in cloud, visibility is bad, the lights are all diffused. Uh, it's never going to be easy. Uh, luckily, these sorts of incidents uh, are pretty rare. Um, usually, guys are uh, on their metal, but you don't know how tired they were or what was going on. Uh, we had a case in the Royal Air Force many years ago now where a buccaneer clipped the uh, tail of a victor tanker and uh, very sadly the buccaneer crew were fine but very sadly shortly afterwards the the tail of the victor disintegrated and the aircraft went into a uh, a high negative g bunt which took them into the ground or the water and uh, i don't think any of the crew got out i think uh, one of them might have one of the pilots might have but the the Negative G was so great that they couldn't actually get to their ejector seat handles and the rear crew were uh, their only option as a manual bailout on that old airplane. So they wouldn't have had stood a chance. So when it happens, it's often tragic. And uh, as is this case, of course, we've, we've lost a, uh, an F-18 pilot.
2: I'm getting uh, some information from a competent producer personnel. Oh, yeah uh saying that uh I'm misread this and actually the C130 is also down and missing. Oh right. Oh, and there right. were five crew members uh, aboard that one, so it's it's even worse than uh, I had first reported.
4: Hey, I do have a question for Nick though. Sure. Um what is the procedure? What were your procedures if you ended up either in cloud either inadvertent, inadvertently or because you couldn't avoid it during refueling? Um, you can you, are you just carry retooling? on regardless oh, really? yeah right.
0: absolutely uh if you can't you can't uh find the bloke visually as you're approaching him and because he's in thick cloud, you would have to wait until he came into a, a clear spell and then you close up on him. And once you're in close formation on him uh and you always join on the left, at least this is the standard procedures uh, that we employed and they're pretty standard throughout NATO. You join on the left, you come up and be in the flight deck, you waggle your wings or make a radio call. If you're uh, using the radio, and uh, then you're cleared to stern one of the hoses in turn. Uh, and uh, having moved back and along and behind your hose, uh, you're then clear to make contact. And from then on, in fact, whenever you're maneuvering around the aircraft, you're never more than uh, 20 or 30 feet away from him. Uh, and hopefully these guys will have more than just navigation lights. They'll have uh, the strip lights uh, that are common now, the uh, sort of glowing uh, illumination strips uh, that'll help you line up. But you get a, a stir in your station, and uh, you use your formation cues to move up, and quite often the basket doesn't even come visible until you're within about 15 feet of it, because that's only illuminated by a little a radioactive glimpse that are around the edge of the basket and all you see are those sort of merge out of the blackness and then it's a matter of uh, closing up main contact and pushing up and you know you've got to push up about 10 or 15 feet of hose to get the fuel to flow and then you just maintain your formation position but and all the time you're just hanging about i don't know 10 feet below the wing and about uh, 20 feet behind the you're usually level with the Back of the aircraft, so your you know your nose is level with his tail, and there's only often twenty feet thirty feet between you and him, so you know it, it's one of those things that you will learn to do, but it requires an element of skill and if you're in a lot of turbulence uh, in clouds say you're, the cloud is q nim and you're uh, bouncing around then it uh, sometimes the safest course course is to disconnect and back away from him until you can get some better air but we we've all tanked in pretty bad conditions before and it's very rare to make contact with the tanker.
4: Interesting. Thank you.
0: Wow.
2: So uh here's hoping that they'll find that the C one the KC one thirty landed safely somewhere and they just didn't know about it, but um it doesn't look great. No, no. Mm. And uh yeah, that's all all I can think of saying about that. Finally, in our news folder, uh, this interesting dramatic video from surveillance cameras at uh, or near the executive uh, airport of Florida, let's see, Fort Lauderdale Executive Airport. Uh, I guess uh, surveillance video from H&J Electronics International shows the moment of impact when a Cessna crashed into the northern side of a warehouse at Executive Office Park in Fort Lauderdale on Saturday, killing two people. Um, and, uh, we'll put the uh, link to this in the show notes and you can see, uh, the, the very last second or so of this airplane, it hits the ground right in front of the building and then just slides and hits the building and explodes into flames and, uh, looks like a, uh, some kind of a a light twin. I can't tell what model Mm -hmm. assessment is, if it, if it's a 402 or
4: I couldn't tell from the video, I mean, it's just a really brief clip, but definitely dramatic and definitely
2: sad. Yes, but nobody on the ground looks like uh, was injured.
4: No, there so were some people the in the building news. who were all okay.
2: And you can see that in the video, by the way, uh, people coming out of the building and running away from the mm-hmm. big fireball. It's pretty, uh, pretty dramatic. So check it out. All right. Um, anything else before we move on? I
4: no, don't
2: think so. No. No. Okay, now I'm going to call an audible. Normally, we play the installment of the Old Pilots' Plane Tales um, after we've covered some of our feedback. But since Captain Nick is going to be leaving us pretty soon so he can get a good night's rest, um, I'd like to go ahead and play uh, this week's installment right now.
0: The Old Pilots' Plane Tales, Killing Myths The infamous crash of Air France 447 has been cited many times as an indictment of fly-by-wire technology and automation on the flight deck. Again and again, this accident is used as a stick to beat aircraft manufacturers who employ automation by casting doubt within the minds of passengers and pilots alike. Headlines like... The tragic crash of flight Air France 447 shows the unlikely but catastrophic consequences of automation. Crash, how computers are setting us up for disaster. The safety paradox of airplane automation. Should airplanes be flying themselves? A lesson in the hazards of automation. Intriguingly, the loss of control problem has been attributed to sophisticated cockpit automation. Questions raised about Airbus' automated control system. Ill-informed prejudice lingers to this date, and if someone wants to damn new technology or quibble about its use in the cockpit, their go-to quote is, remember Air France 447, as if that crash proves their point and encompasses all their concerns about computers and the whole fly-by-wire thing. Such poorly researched opinions are present in the press, supposedly authoritative books, outwardly learned papers, and even with the pilot community itself, with old jokes being trotted out about the new Airbus pilot asking, what's it doing now? As a fairly experienced chap who has flown nothing but fly-by-wire aircraft since 1987, I'm going to dispel some of the myths and untruths that surround this accident and perhaps bring a little understanding. First, a little history lesson on automation and autopilots. The inflatable Otto of the movie Airplane has actually been around since 1914, although he looked a bit different then, probably a bit younger, when Lawrence Sperry fitted a gyroscopic stabiliser apparatus to a Curtiss C2 biplane designed to improve stability and control. In front of a large crowd he disentangled himself from the shoulder yoke that controlled the C-2's ailerons and flew past with both his arms held high. The aircraft continued on a straight and steady course, with the pilot obviously not handling the controls. The crowd was on its feet, cheering and shouting, "'Remarkable! Extraordinaire! Formidable!' Sperry had stunned the sceptics with his no-hands flying. Gyros and accelerometers linked to flight controls removed the tedium and fatiguing need for a pilot to handle the controls on long, straight legs. They became standard fit in all airliners, so that by the 1950s it was almost unheard of for a new machine to roll out of a factory without this facility. They increased in sophistication until in 1966 a British Trident performed the first fully automatic landing of a commercial flight with passengers aboard. So, far from being a new thing, the battle of keeping a pilot's handling skills honed through practice has been going on for over half a century. Now let's take a little look at fly-by-wire. The increase in size, weight and speed of airliners necessitated the introduction of powered flying controls. From this moment on, the pilot wasn't directly in contact with the control surfaces, the elevators, ailerons and such. His stick merely pulled on steel cables, which in turn moved valves on hydraulic rams that moved the controls and did the heavy lifting for the pilot. What's more, there was no feedback from these controls and it was possible for a heavy-handed pilot to deflect control so much that it would overstress or even stall the aircraft. As a result, field systems were built into the flight controls that gave an artificial impression that the controls were heavy at high speed and light at low speeds. These were often no more than springs, whose tension was increased by a suitable system of levers and pulleys as airspeed increased. If you've ever tried to lift a drum of steel cable, you will know what prompted the next development. Long runs of steel cables up and down a fuselage are heavy, and getting them round corners complicated. Remembering that all they did was turn hydraulic valves, there had to be an easier way, and it was, of course, by using electric wires. This was already a thing in the 1930s, so don't try and tell me this is a new concept. The Soviets had the first servo-electrically operated aircraft, a Tupolev ANT-20, and the first purely electronic fly-by-wire aircraft was the Apollo Lunar Training Vehicle, which flew as early as 1968. From then to today, the technology is basically the same. The pilot's control inputs are measured by signal transducers on the control stick, which generate an electrical command. The microphone I am using right now is a simple signal transducer, which converts the mechanical movement of air pressure waves I create as I pontificate into an electrical signal. It's the same in an aircraft. The electrical signal is processed, passed down wires to electrically controlled servo valves on the flight control hydraulic jacks. As this technology became more sophisticated, analog computers replaced the original electric controllers, the first of which was in the Avro Canada CF 105 Arrow, which was under development in the 1950s. Concorde was the first. Production fly by wire airliner and the first F 16s also used analog control computers, but these soon gave way to the more capable digital control computers we have today. The advantage of a digital control computer is that it can take multiple inputs from a myriad of sources, such as external sensors and static pressure, temperatures and such, as well as the pilot's inputs to give appropriate signals to the flight controls. In a fighter, this allows the pilot to fly an aircraft that is inherently unstable to achieve undreamed of control authority and carefree handling because stalls, spins and exceeding aircraft limits such as G-forces can be prevented. In a mundane airliner, such exotic exploits tend to upset the passengers, and in an airframe that is inherently stable and pedestrian, the level of control modification needed is minimal. The first fully digital fly-by-wire airliner was, of course, the Airbus A320, which rolled out in 1987. However, just like a sophisticated fighter aircraft, The A320's control systems protect the aircraft from exceeding certain limits. The envelope protection prevents the aircraft from pitching up or down excessively or rolling upside down. It limits the minimum and maximum speed and, probably most importantly, allows the pilot to get the maximum performance from his wing without the danger of stalling. So... On to the first big question. Was this control system the cause of the crash of Air France 447? Unequivocally, no. Now the second big question. Why didn't the very clever flight control system prevent the crash of Flight 447? Answering this question forms the second part of this tale. There have been entire books devoted to this accident, but I'm going to deal with it using a single sheet of paper, so forgive me if I keep to the point. Air France 447 was an Airbus A330-200 series, the very aircraft type that I was flying on my last two sectors, en route from Rio de Janeiro to Paris, and cruising over the Atlantic about halfway between the east coast of Brazil and the west coast of Africa. They were flying through an area of weather known as the Intertropical Convergence Zone, where large cumulonimbus clouds often grow to high levels. Being a long night flight, the normal crew of two pilots was augmented by an additional first officer. The aircraft was cruising at flight level 350, Mach decimal 8-2, as they were still too heavy to climb safely to the next level, flight level 370. When it was the captain's turn to rest, he listened to the first officers brief each other and then went to the crew rest area, leaving them to fly the aircraft. The more junior of the first officers was the pilot flying the aircraft and his colleague was monitoring. Navigating through a cluster of convective clouds, it's probable that the crew entered heavy cloud made of ice crystals, which entered the pitot tubes, exceeding the probe's heater's ability to melt the ice and evacuate the resulting water. This blockage would have caused erroneous and conflicting airspeed indications, and caused the autopilot and autothrust to disengage, and the flight control computers to degrade from normal law to an alternate law, with fewer protections. Incorrect speeds were shown on the left instruments for 29 seconds, the standby instruments for 54 seconds, and the right instruments for 61 seconds at most. Throughout this, and for the rest of the flight, the only input to the flight controls came from the pilot's side sticks. When the autopilot disconnected, The right seat pilot, who was the nominated pilot flying, called, I have the controls. In the light turbulence they were experiencing, the aircraft rolled to the left by less than 10 degrees, and descended by around 300 feet. In alternate law too, the roll controls are in direct law, in that the ailerons deflect in direct response to the control inputs, just like a Cessna 150 might. The inputs that were applied to the aircraft were rapid and heavy-handed, officially described as excessive and incompatible with the recommended handling practices for high-altitude flight. The aircraft oscillated in roll due to over-controlling, and the hard pull-up Increase the angle of attack sufficient to bring on the aural stall warning. Only four seconds had elapsed since the autopilot disconnected. By ten seconds, both pilots had realised that they had a discrepancy in speed. Indeed, the pilot monitoring stated, we've lost the speeds, which should have prompted them to apply the unreliable speed memory items. Had they done so, they would soon have recovered the situation. However, neither pilot mentioned these vital actions, which required them to set a pitch attitude and a power setting suitable for level flight at their height. Having identified the airspeed problem, the pilot monitoring then began working through the ECAM warnings. He called out the loss of autopilot, autothrust, and the change to alternate flight law, as well as the thrust lock warning that was continually reminding the handling pilot that he now needed to set engine power manually. At this point, the monitoring pilot noticed the excessive pitch, which had exceeded 10 degrees nose up, a completely inappropriate attitude for their height. Indeed, at one point, they reached 7,000 feet per minute of climb, and he tried to coach the other pilot into reducing the pitch. After making a few selections in an attempt to regain accurate speed indications for his colleague, the monitoring pilot seemed to become overwhelmed and concentrated entirely on recalling the captain to the flight deck. Despite knowing that the aircraft was unable to fly at flight level 370 due to their weight, the aircraft was still climbing and, of course, its speed was reducing. Thirty seconds after the start of the event, the left side instruments returned normal and read 223 knots. 30 seconds later, the right side speed also read correctly. However, for a reason that defies logic, the handling pilot continued to apply backstick and climb the aircraft until it reached 38,000 feet, with the engines now in full-thrust toga setting the self-trimming stabiliser had moved slowly from 3 degrees nose-up to 13 degrees nose-up and the angle of attack reached 16 degrees. Despite the nose-high attitude, the aircraft could no longer climb and it was now going back down with an increasing angle of attack which built until the wing stalled. With the stall warning blaring, the left seat first officer took over control and pushed his control stick forward to lower the nose and recover from the stall, but he did so without pressing the override push button that would disengage the other stick. Because the right seat pilot was still pulling his control stick hard back, the inputs cancelled each other out and the attempt failed the aircraft's speed now fell below a level where the angle of attack vanes are considered valid, and, as a consequence, the stall warning stopped. When the handling pilot did relax his nose-up input and the speed started to increase, the angle of attack indications again became valid and the stall warning restarted. Instead of applying a stall recovery, this prompted the pilot to pull back again. By now, the captain was on the flight deck, but instead of taking his seat, he remained on the jump seat. The more senior first officer, who was in the left seat, said, "'We've lost all control of the aeroplane. We don't understand anything. We've tried everything.' And then, "'Climb, climb, climb, climb!' When the handling pilot replied, "'but I've been at maximum nose-up for a while,' "'the captain realised that he was causing the stall, "'and he shouted, "'No, no, no, don't climb!' "'By now it was too late to break the stall, "'and with a rate of descent exceeding 10,000 feet a minute, "'the handling pilot swore and said, "'We're going to crash. "'This can't be true, but what is happening?' "'When flight 447 hit the water,' All 228 souls on board were killed instantly. When examining this accident, it's easy to get sidetracked by things that might have saved the situation. Had modified pitot tubes been fitted, they might not have iced up. Had the aircraft not gone into alternate law, the protections would have saved the situation. Had the aircraft been fitted with central control columns and not side sticks, the mishandling errors might have been easier to notice, but none of these things caused the accident. The accident was caused by the failure of the handling pilot to manually control his aircraft when the autopilot disengaged. Despite correctly diagnosing a failure in speed indications, both pilots failed to apply the memory items for that situation, something that they were required to know. When one pilot grossly mishandled the aircraft, the other didn't take control in the correct manner by stating, I have control, and if necessary, pressing the takeover button. When the aircraft warned that they were entering a stall, the pilot didn't apply the most basic of recovery actions that every pilot is taught from almost their first lesson onwards. In fact, he did exactly the opposite and pulled the stick further back. Despite coming onto the flight deck when the aircraft was still at altitude around 30,000 feet, the captain, and by far the most experienced pilot, did not get into his seat and take control. Automation didn't cause this accident, and neither did fly-by-wire, computers, or any other fancy gadget. It was purely a lack of piloting skills, an understanding of high-level handling techniques, a knowledge of emergency procedures, and the most basic stall recovery drill. Excellent plain tale. I think that was
2: very well Excellent done. Excellent plain tale, and yes. many, 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 many good points. I don't know what where I was going with that. Many good points made regarding automation and uh, the the error that so many people make when they refer to Air France 447 as uh, you know proof that automation is evil. Uh, it's not. Uh, pilot incompetence is.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I hope got that across. I was a bit firmer, perhaps, than I might have been, but uh, I was there, did that one to make a point. I think you did. Yeah, I think well made. I think you did as well. Yeah. So, uh, any comments?
2: Uh, I disagree with pretty much everything that you mentioned. And, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I actually agree with with you. Uh, and we we discussed this a, a little bit before we started recording today. And uh, it it's so. I mean, there are so many variables and factors involved in this whole thing. But many of the things that people point to in this particular incident as causal really weren't causal. They were maybe a factor in the whole in thing light. or contributing factor. But uh, the the as Nick made a very good point about this is that the pilot at the controls somehow inexplicably didn't understand what the situation was and didn't know how to activate the controls properly and uh, didn't. And uh, th- something that I learned from listening to this was I didn't realize that there was an unreliable airspeed memory item, in action item that you know, we were supposed to be have committed to memory uh, in place at that time that apparently they didn't bother executing because if they had, uh, they would have all been alive still today.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, mean, it, to me, it just boils down to the one, to the pilot flying being so disoriented about the situation and doing completely the wrong thing and no one else realizing what was going on in the moment either. So everyone was... Distracted, disoriented, in in some way or another, and no one was flying the airplane. Basically,
2: and then a lot of people like to make this a uh, a a uh, I don't know a justification of a certain type of control system, like a conventional control system versus a side stick controller. And again, that may have been a contributor contributing factor in some of this. You know, maybe if they'd had a more conventional control style perhaps this they wouldn't have gotten into the situation there's no guarantee that that would have occurred and the other thing and the point that uh, i made with nick before we started recording today is that there were several documented instances of this same kind of thing occurring in that type of control system airplane airbuses uh, and the crews knew how to handle the situation how to set the appropriate pitch attitude and the power setting and uh, it was, uh, recoverable. Um, in fact, they never even got into an upset situation and several instances of it occurring after this tragedy. So in this one case where you have a pilot that, uh, as I said, inexplicably didn't perform the proper actions when this occurred and s- subsequently, uh, lost control of the situation. And then, uh, the other two pilots not seeming to grasp what the situation was until it was too late. Right, it, yeah. you know,
4: it's just a, it's just a tragic combination of all of the wrong people there at the wrong time, basically. You know, and, you uh, know right. a combination so, of people yeah. might have done something differently.
0: Micah makes the point that I think I covered sort of uh, in that. If it had had a yoke, uh, a central yoke, wouldn't that have uh, saved the situation? Well, Micah, in 1996, uh, Bergen Air Flight 301 um, crashed, killing 189. Uh, the captain uh, flew uh, an incorrect and high indicated airspeed because they had a very similar problem. He he thought he had high airspeed. He flew the aircraft too slow. They stalled and Crashed, And that was a Boeing 757 with a center stick and a yoke. And in the same year, Aero Peru 603, also a Boeing 757, killed 70 in another similar accident where they lost uh, their pressure instruments and uh, they crashed as well. So uh, I'm sorry, having a center stick and a yoke is not a guarantee that you will uh, notice what's going on or that you will say the situation because there's two previous accidents that prove exactly my point it doesn't really matter what when the guys who are flying the airplane are so confused as they really don't understand what's going on that's not a a, a cue that even you know those blokes look at the stick position even they didn't work out what it was and quite often it's where the stabilator a much more powerful control system uh, the main tailplane which is what we use to trim the airplane it's the position of that that is often uh, the thing that drives the airplane uh, into the stall not the actual position of the elevators which are controlled by the yoke so you could have the elevators uh, as that 737 that had crashed just recently we talked about the last show uh, they had the elevators full back but because the uh, new Boeing 737 uh, dash 9 was it or dash 8 uh, the dash 8 max Yeah, mm-hmm. because the, uh, the max anti-stall eight. system had fed in trim driving the, uh, the tail plane into a nose down position it doesn't matter where they had the stick they couldn't recover the aircraft Right. Right. And again, that's another
2: situation where they didn't understand the situation. They didn't understand that they had a runaway stabilizer or maybe not a runaway. It was actually being activated by this MCAS this this MCAS. But uh, regardless, if they think that the stabilizer is doing something it shouldn't be doing, then if they had properly executed the runaway stabilizer um, action items, then they probably could have save that one as well. Yeah. So it all
4: yeah, comes it down sense. to understanding what's going on in the moment that it's happening, being able to take a quick and appropriate action and people can make those mistakes. I think automation can make not necessarily mistakes, but if it can't cope with something, it's not programmed for, you're going to see similar issues happen. If it's, if you're trying to say, make the case for it, for automation or just for, you know, pilots flying the aircraft.
2: Yeah. Reality okay. is, you know, that, Having complete automation on one yeah. end of the spectrum or complete manual flight on the other end of the spectrum, especially in this world of flying passengers around and especially long flights, uh, those are both of those are not acceptable. It's something in between. It's that interaction, that machine human interface that we have to live in and operate in and understand what's happening constantly. So, you know, automation is essential. It's it's here. This is reality. Uh, and it's important to have, it's a tool that we have. It's just that we have to understand everything we can about the automation and what it's doing. And by the way, Nick, you mentioned something about uh, what's it doing now. Well, the Airbus is not the only airplane where, you, where you'll where you hear that said. And I've heard it many, many times. Any, and, any
4: aircraft uh, with an autopilot, I think.
2: <laughs> yes, that's true. It's like, okay, what? What? why is it doing that? What are we doing? And usually the answer is, oh, because I did this and that's yeah, why it's I doing that. I didn't
4: program it correctly. I didn't <laughs> yeah. pro- program it to do what I thought I was telling it to do.
2: Right. What? <clears throat> yeah.
5: And that's exactly what I was going to say, uh, Jeff. It's basically the human interaction. And You know, there is no such thing as perfect technology. There's no such thing as a perfect human. Uh, and, and, but if the human doesn't understand what technology is doing, then really it's the human's fault. Um, and you know, even if this last accident uh, that that just occurred with the with the uh, EMAT,
2: don't the EMAS, the uh, um, MCAS. MCAS went to say E-mass. I Oh, well, because you probably were, were looking at, at the uh, Southwest aircraft that went off. The yeah, one yeah, yeah I was thinking about that actually. ECE to be covered in a future them.
5: podcast. Yeah, for future, yes. next show. But so, anyways, um, the MCAS. I mean, listen, it, it, it the systems there, the, the, the controls are there. Whether uh, you know, it's still up for debate. Whether Boeing made it known, um, and again, that is still a human. Whether, whether Boeing did or did not you know, make it known, it's still a human interaction, because somebody somewhere along the line, that's a human being uh, made that decision not to or, or did include the training or did not include the training. And if that was the case, then it was still a human issue. So, uh, you know, the systems are designed by humans, by people that are imperfect, and they're designed to protect us as we were talking about, uh, just at the beginning of this podcast with the LL issue uh and when it works it works great it in the human interaction uh is where the real issue is so um we, we all strive to be as perfect as we possibly can but there's always going to be that that time and you know of course with the with the the air france issue as nick so eloquently put into uh, to words is it basically came down to the pilot's ability and i i mean one could almost say that you know the technology is playing into the fact that we have become uh less of a pilot more of a manager of the systems and uh we're forgetting some some of our skills and we've talked about that in in nauseam over the uh, past years
2: so and one of those contributor contributory factors in this air france four forty seven was um the fact that the uh First officer that was at the controls at the time, the least experienced one, right. uh, was uh, supposedly a slave to following the flight director bars, and we all know that um, usually it's good information. And In some airplanes, it's better information than others. And the Airbus, I understand, it's a very accurate indication of where you should probably be, f- you know, putting the uh, attitude of the aircraft. However. You also have to understand what the situation is and whether or not um, it's, it's commanding something that is in, inappropriate. And uh, I i don't know, Dana, if you feel the same way, but I, I fly occasionally with people. And usually it's the ones that don't fly the airplane very smoothly that slavishly follow the flight director bars, whether it be the pitch or the lateral, but mostly the pitch, and they're the ones that can't fly the airplane smoothly because they're like, as soon as the bar moves up a little bit, they're going, mm, you know, like they're, I got to I gotta be exactly where that bar is telling me to be, and I think I also talked about the story where I was climbing out of Miami, I believe, and they told us to fly. We were heading west, and they said to fly north, and I kind of waited uh, two, three, four seconds before I actually moved the heading select knob to see if this guy was actually going to turn the airplane to the north. And no, he did not turn the airplane until I spun the heading select knob and the flight director bar moved to the right. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, you got to get out of that, you know, tunnel vision that you have on that flight director system. You got to see everything. You got to take, you know, look at the big picture here. And perhaps this, that was another factor in this whole thing where when the flight director, Uh, There were times when the flight director system uh, was uh, out of view and then other times where it came back into view and it was commanding something like a very high pitch attitude, which was inappropriate for an airplane in the stall. But he seemed to disregard the fact that that that's not the right thing to do and and slavishly slavishly tried to follow the flight director
0: system. Yeah, you're right, Jeff. Uh, Flying an airplane is not a computer game. No. Uh, you don't just, uh, uh, you know, look at a TV screen and, and track a ball. And the other cues that they missed, that, that you think to yourself, how did they not realize that it had gone quiet because they had such low airspeed that they were, you know, they were there. And the Buffett, uh, the, the aircraft uh, entering the stall is not the same as Mac Buffett when you're going too fast. All these cues are there. The fact that the controls... Uh, are having little effect over the airplane because the airspeed is so low. Um, All these factors, which we learn from basic, Flying lesson number, I don't know, five or whatever it is, where you learn low speed handling and stalling. And we should know them so they're instinctive. Uh, how they managed to forget that, I don't know. They weren't inexperienced pilots. They, um, the first officer flying had over 3,000 hours. I think the other guy had about 8,000 hours. The skipper had, I don't know, 15, 20,000 hours.
2: I guess I'm looking yeah.
0: at it, or, uh, you know, Relatively
2: speaking, I guess. Yeah,
0: but uh, yeah, we, we all know that uh, you can build up a lot of hours doing one of these jobs, and you don't actually do any flying, N- not any meaningful flying. Right.
5: You know, I, it, in in Nick, since you did such a great job on this, it really kind of made me realize, um, even in my own experience as I came up, um, you know, on the aircraft that Jeff and I fly, we fly quite a bit. Um. You you say this uh, the first officer's flying in at three thousand hours. Well, you know how much of that is truly flying? Uh, you know, especially recency. You know, in the last 2,000 hours, maybe he hadn't been. You know, maybe he's doing long haul and has only gotten one landing a month for the last uh, 24, 36 months. I, you know, I don't know that answer. We could probably find that out, but that's irrelevant. Uh, just mentioning it because when when I was coming up, and and I'm and I'm going to make this personal. Um, because you mentioned it, Jeff, as well, is, you know, people that become slaves to that, that flight director. When I first was on, you know, learning to fly the mad dog in the right seat, uh, I was very much a slave to that flight director because it was telling me the information I needed, but I was also applying it in a way that you're talking about is thinking outside of the box, because, you know, one of the things that a lot of the airlines have gone to, um, and you know, we can talk about all these different instances. but I'm not going to. Uh, is that they've really tried to focus pilots in on becoming slave to that the 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 autopilot, the flight director, the automation. And when I was coming up as a uh, M, new md 80 pilot, I was I was you know my I, you've heard me say this before. I've always been taught uh, the first thing I was taught is smoothness counts. And it took me a long time, even with me flying the airplane all the time in the right seat, for me not to fly the flight director or close to being on the flight director as I possibly could until I got it to the point like you are today, Jeff, and like I am, in in that is I fly through the flight director because I can anticipate, because I have a lot of experience with the airplane. I know that the turn's coming, you know, we're in the departure in Atlanta. I know that we're going to be leveling off, okay, but I don't want the airplane coming up to the level off altitude at the, you know, 2,000 feet per minute climb. I'll bring it down 1,000 feet per minute. It's much smoother, right? So I fly through that just like you do. But my initial... Uh, experience as a pilot that was, that didn't have a lot of experience until I became comfortable with the aircraft. I flew the flight director and some people just may not be able to get away from that. And maybe in coming back to my original point, you know, okay, he had 3000 hours, 4000 hours, but maybe his comfort level never got to that level because he just on the international side wasn't flying frequent enough and so thus he was never that comfortable flying the airplane i'm just playing devil's advocate and i found myself as i upgraded to the left seat just recently kind of going back to that okay i've got to fly the flight director but that ended real quickly because i remembered i know how to fly this airplane it's no different i just moved 36 inches it's the same thing it's just Twine with a different hand so you know it's it, it is all relevant because we as human beings we have our comfort level we we find what that comfort level is and until we uh, break through that um comfort level and become even more comfortable with something it does take take experience and uh, unfortunately he was the wrong guy flying at the wrong time and uh that's that's kind of where we're we're at i mean again we're slaves to, to the, the automation and we need to break that. And some people are just better at doing
2: it than others. Well said. Here, here. Okay. Well, I'm glad that we were able to play that, uh, that, uh, plain tale while you were here. Yeah. Next. Thanks for that, Jeff. You could, uh, add your commentary and, uh, help us, uh, understand it a little bit better. And, um, I understand now that, uh, your bed calls.
0: It does. I'm afraid I've I'm, I'm barely got uh, uh, eight hours. I have to be out of the house. Um, so I wish you all well, and uh, uh, I'll be in uh, uh, Saint Lucia tomorrow, typing away, uh, doing my next plain tale. I'm still wondering what to uh, what to do it on, but uh, I've got plenty of suggestions. I'm
4: sure inspiration inspiration will come. Yeah,
0: I might do it on the Red Wing Booby. How's that? Uh. Is that like the blue footed booby? Yeah. Uh, it might be, yes. I okay. think it's as a little a ago. Well, enjoy your tropical drink. Oh, yes. oh thank I, you. And by the way, someone did actually, I think it was uh, Colonel Jeff, tell me that uh, the noise on my uh, um, little bit I did for uh, the Patreons are little tree frogs, apparently. Oh, yeah. A little bell really like noise. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, so I'll go hunting tree frogs. That'll be fun. All right, guys. Have have right. a great rest of the show. Enjoy the, the piggyback. Fly, safe. safe Enjoy Uh, it. uh, Cheers. Enjoy that warm weather. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
2: Okay. With that, now we can talk about Captain Nick. Excellent. Uh, (laughs) Perfect. Yes. All right. Uh, uh, Because you say the same thing when I disappear. (laughs) I know. But then, (laughs) then you always listen to it, and I always get in trouble. So I should, I should know better. Okay. With that, I think it's now time for your feedback. Captain.
5: Incoming message.
2: Let's start with item number one, Rob. Uh, speaking of Rob, that's his name, but uh, apparently um, this company tried to rob... Pa- well, here, let me read this. Flying can already be pricey for passengers. This from people.com slash travel. Flying can already be pricey for passengers. And on one flight, the bill kept climbing when the airline asked flyers to pay for their plane's repairs. In Beijing, an LOT Polish Airlines plane needed a new pump to fly to Warsaw, and the flight turned to the 249 people on the plane to help finance it, according to Metro. I guess that must be some newspaper. The effort reportedly raked in about $350 in American money, and the flight had a 10-hour delay. LOT Polish Airlines did not immediately reply to this media outlet's request for comment. Uh, Quote, this is from Daniel Golubowski, who was on a passenger on the flight. We are at the international airport. I cannot believe that transactions take place here in cash under the table with a mechanic standing next to the plane. Um, uh, incredible he added. And, uh, so apparently they were in a situation where they weren't going to, um, give them the part that they needed to fix the airplane until they received a little bit of, uh, under the table moolah.
4: Yeah. Um, I think that had something to do with, I'm not sure if this was the same incident or I read, um, something about it in a different publication, not people magazine or people.com. Um, but the mechanics at the airport couldn't take the couldn't take credit cards for some reason, so they had to come oh. up with the cash for it. And it's not a base for this airline, and no one had cash, oh. so they had to. I think that's why the fundraising had to take place. But yeah, maybe they've been
2: burned in the past. Still doesn't make for done... very
4: good uh, yeah. public relations.
2: Yeah, I guess. Um... The same passenger said, hey, you know, the representative of L.O.T., Polish Airlines, should have both cash and credit card with them to handle these situations. But uh, they don't give me any cash to uh, deal with situations like this. But luckily, I don't fly to places in the world where yeah. you need to deal with uh, people in cash. Yeah, they
4: just couldn't couldn't process the credit card, I guess.
2: Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So maybe it wasn't all an evil ploy to uh, get extra money. And maybe I, I don't just... know, but
4: I would imagine that the airline would reimburse.
2: Compensate. Yeah. And especially. If yes.
5: Yeah. I'm in, and I've heard of, I've heard of that where, you know, some of these not mo- so major airlines going to n- s- not so uh, delightful locations. Um, they have to, they have to carry around a currency in order to, in case, you know, they'll carry their mm-hmm. own mechanics a lot of times into these places um, Got to grease the skids or whatever. they're Yeah, they just yeah, they, yeah kind of grease grease the local skids and um. You know, I don't know how they protect it because uh, you know you go into some places. I don't know if they have local armed guards or what. You know, maybe you have to grease the local armed guards too. But I've I've heard of something similar. Just it, I think it's catching everybody off guard because it's you know Lott is a, a you know pretty well known airline throughout the world. But you know maybe they have been having some financial issues and maybe they're you know, credit cards are not working or maybe the mm-hmm. credit card machine was down. There's a lot of different variables here. So,
2: yeah. Speaking of, you know, flying to places around the world where, you know, things aren't as secure as they could be. Uh, I've, co- I've heard of a couple different places that Acme flies where, um, let's say, for instance, in a certain northern Portion of uh, the African continent uh, where we lay over, I, I believe it's uh, is it Nigeria, uh, where the uh, the crew has to be uh like in a in a vehicle with armed guards, mm-hmm. and maybe another vehicle following them because you know there's a chance that uh, the vehicle can be uh, attacked on the way en route from the airport to the hotel and vice versa, and they tell our crews that. We're not telling you you have to stay on this compound, this protected, secure area. We recommend that you do uh, because you know you're taking your strongly life in your own hands. Yeah. yeah, strongly recommend.
4: And basically, that you we will be responsible compound. if you do something we don't recommend. Probably.
2: And that doesn't sound very pleasant.
4: To no, me. I, no,
2: oh, no, no, no. And we've had even in Mexico city, even, uh, I don't know if it's still true now, but, uh, in years past, uh, I've, I've heard of, uh, airline crews, uh, you know, being attacked by people trying to kidnap or whatever and make some money. Um, uh, it's just, uh, it's a scary world out there in, in certain places.
4: Yeah. You know, be on your guard, you know, especially if you're traveling to some place that is not the safest and follow. Yeah. Recommendations that are provided because they're probably in your best interest.
2: Right. Even, uh, you know, Louisville, uh, not Louisville, uh, Baltimore, we used to stay at a a hotel. It's a pretty nice hotel. It was uh, just north of uh, Camden Yards. Mm -hmm. A nice, easy walk to Camden Yards. And uh, just a little bit, just a couple of blocks north of that particular hotel, um, you know, the neighborhood kind of gets a little, you know, know, I don't know. The
4: character changes?
2: The character changes yeah. and, uh, you know, they just common sense would tell you that, you know, if you're going to walk around that area, you should probably not be by yourself, especially at night. And uh, apparently one of our pilot crew members, um, was on his own, um, in the dark and walking in this area and was, was mugged and injured and, you know, robbed. And, uh, I was impressed that Acme's corporate security, uh, got into it, immediately and within about a week we had already changed our location for our hotel which is kind of a shame because i feel bad for the hotel because where the hotel actually is is not that bad
4: it's just in close uh, it's just proximity that, to
2: yeah and the guy made a bad decision and right because of that we pulled out of that hotel and you know we were in a, a couple other nice hotels as well closer to the inner harbor but still um you know you got to use your head you have to take common sense precautions when you're traveling in places around the world and you know that stuff you go to a lot of places around the world yeah, and you sure. just can't you know go out there in your, your running outfit and and uh you know in a bad area without, or even just you know, an unknown area so
4: you know last weekend's yeah. another great example it's in downtown st petersburg and i want to go for a run in the morning but i just wasn't familiar with the area and i kind of knew where i wanted to go but i didn't know what the neighborhood looked like so i just made sure i waited until the sun came up and then Made sure that I was comfortable with where I was seeing that I was heading.
2: So yeah. The thing you have going for you, Steph, is that you can run fast. You well, I do <laughs> <it's> sometimes
4: sometimes <laughs> bank on that just a little bit. But you know, yes, it's easy to um, kind of have a false sense of security sometimes, especially if you've been to so yeah, well, if you've never had problems before, or if you're, um, you know, I will say I'm probably a little bit more guilty of it. Where you start running, and I like to listen to music, and I usually don't have it turned up very loud, but you know, it's easy to get lost in your own thoughts a little bit. And before you know it, you're not aware of your surroundings as much as you were before, especially if you're, you know, where I was running was on a trail, so it wasn't on a road or crossing intersections or anything. So there's no real reason to be on the lookout for traffic or, you know, other hazards. Um, but I think those are the places where you really need to be a little bit more on guard because you don't know what's around the corner. You don't know who's on the other side of the fence, you
2: know? Right.
4: So just always be be aware of your surroundings and, um, you know, take whatever precautions you need to. And if that includes don't go out to that location, don't go there.
5: Yeah, and, and what I was going to say is also, Jeff, you mentioned, uh, you know, Mexico City at one point, but South America, uh, you know, there's a couple places down there that I know that we've had armed guards and have to be concerned. Um, but there are places all over the world, even in our own country. That you have to be cautious and that's just that's just caution to the wind no matter who you are where you are and who you're with i mean it's always better to have uh you know safety in numbers uh, going out by yourself is always a danger it doesn't matter how good shape you are how big you are i mean i i tend to have less problems in 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 uh, a lot of places just because my sheer 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 size uh, i'm a big guy and a lot of people just don't want to mess with you know, big I don't want to mess with that they don't want to <laughs> mess with that but you know if they come with me you know at me with a knife or a gun you know I, I don't care how big I am you know I'm, I'm still human well, being. there's B. always
4: someone bigger stronger faster doesn't matter who you are or what your skill set is you never know what you're going to be up against against so, someone else
5: Um it's uh, you know you just it's caution to the wind no matter where you are and whether you're on overnight or whether you're at home you know going to the grocery store it can happen anytime anywhere you just have to be cautious no matter what Right.
2: Okay. Um, item number two, this is sent in from our producer, Liz. Um, a Turkish airlines pilot found out that his school teacher was flying and he went on to gift him an unforgettable flight. It's not every day that you get to see scenes like this on a flight, but what happened on this Turkish airlines flight left everyone on the plane in tears of happiness and gratitude. Um, Anyway, uh, it goes on to say that a journalist, um, Isham Ul Haq, took to Twitter to share the moving video of what a Turkish Airlines pilot did when he found out he was flying with the uh, on the aircraft with his teacher on board, and uh, it's a very um, cool video, a lot of production value for something that mm. just happened right off the
4: yeah off the cuff
2: yeah supposedly uh, off the cuff. Uh, yeah, supposedly because of camera angles and everything else, but it's still a cool story. Yeah. So uh, we we'll like feel in- good
4: stories. We don't have enough of them, I think, sometimes. No, you're and,
2: right. Uh, and the videos we usually see, Steph, are the ones with airplanes crashing. crashing.
4: <laughs> well, we've already featured a few of those today. Yeah.
2: So, so here's one there? that's <laughs> not an airplane crash,
4: not an airplane crash, and it'll get you right in the feels. Yeah. yeah. Warm, fuzzy uh, feeling for the holidays. There you go.
2: It will. Thank you, Liz, for. She knows that you got to have the right mix. <laughs> so we do appreciate that.
4: Top-notch producer.
2: Yes. She's the best producer we've ever had. This is true. Now we're going to switch to something <laughs> that's a little bit...
4: <laughs> what were we saying about a mix?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, here's a mix for you. Uh, and, of course, and Texas Charlie. i have
4: had one of these stories before, too. And I don't know why, why these things keep um, popping back up. <clears throat> Sorry, well, that was so... kind of fun.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> Pun Texas Charlie uses them as well. Here, oh, let, me, let me read to you what Texas Charlie wrote to us. Howdy, y'all. Don't know if this will make it into the podcast, but here goes. The attached article is about phallic graffiti found in and around an Air Force base, but especially in and on a B-52 and specifically in the cockpit. Pun definitely intended eventually it led to the lieutenant colonel losing his command because he could not control the eruption of inappropriate doodles it's a hard it's a hard position for the air force to take, but a rigid regulation requires stiff discipline. Mm-hmm. Wow, I think that deserves uh, several rim shots, I guess uh, being that boys and girls will be oh. Being that boys and girls will be boys, I would guess that more than a few flight decks that the APG crew have visited have had their share of puerile, penile portraits. Wow, there's some alliteration there, mm-hmm. or other adolescent it rolls right artistry. Off the top two, doesn't it me? does no <laughs> no. <laughs> Any stories you would like to share? Adios, all, and happy cloud surfing. Merry Christmas, Texas Charlie. And, uh, the link to the article, uh, the headline is <laughs> stop drawing <d-,"> a CEO <laughs> told his airmen. They didn't, then he was fired. Um, anyway, uh, this happened in Qatar in August, 2017, Lieutenant Colonel Paul Goosen wrote a simple message on a whiteboard for all his airmen to see stop drawing those things. Goosen went on to write that phallic images were showing up everywhere on base, including in restrooms, dorms, and vehicles. A command investigation noted that uh, the phallic images were also drawn on bombs loaded onto B-52s and in the soot on the bomber's exteriors. To the layman, Goosen's instructions might seem pretty straightforward, but the airmen of the 69th... <laughs> Expeditionary Bomber Squadron <laughs> really, took away Is that really the <laughs> I, I, squadron they were a part
4: of? I, just, I, just, I, I see it there I'm not doubting what it, what it yeah. uh, uh, well, just anyway, coincidence I suppose.
2: I think co- it's just coincidence uh, took away a different message since Goosen didn't specifically say that drawing male phallic images while inside the bombers was wrong then it must be okay <laughs> the command investigation found anyway so he kind of you know, tried to stem the, um, uh, this, this issue or, or eliminate it. And apparently they say that his, his, um uh, what he was saying wasn't taking, taken seriously or serious. Well, yeah. What else to say here? Taking um, a
4: little, tongue in chair. Yeah.
2: Maybe they thought, saying. yeah, like, like, you know, okay, wink, yeah, wink, gotcha. you know, we we don't do not draw any on
4: the outside. You didn't right. say anything about the inside.
2: So apparently maybe lack of saying the right things, uh, was, was licensed for them to continue this. Uh, and then,
4: no, I think they were just being, um, there's a word for it and it's referenced in this article, but I'm not going to say it on air.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Use your <God> imagination. <laughs> um, yeah. So and he, he, he lost his command. He, mm-hmm. he paid for not being stern enough, um, uh, with a stiff and rigid, uh, Regulations. Um, you <laughs> could do this all day. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, I'm, so, I'm just a
4: little sad that it came back to him because. Yeah. I mean,
2: I, I can imagine. You think the 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 people in the unit are kind of feeling bad? <laughs> like, you would hope. Unless, unless this guy was hope. himself a a Richard. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Um, well, as far Texas as
4: Charlie did ask for stories to share.
2: Yeah. So, uh, I have, all I'll say
4: I have one, but go ahead.
2: Okay. Well, let's hear yours.
4: So this actually was not, um, not aviation related at all, but definitely workplace related. I shall refrain from naming the uh, workplace because this place still exists, even though I've not worked there for many, many, many years. But let's just say that the, um, average age of the staff was about 17 or 18. So as, uh, Texas Charlie said boys and girls will be boys and um in the break room essentially there was a place where you could um basically lie down underneath and there was a, a cabinet kind of overhead and let's just say that that was a popular place for artistic endeavors mm-hmm. and
2: uh, a gallery the, a sorts. gallery
4: yeah well the uh, the same it was a theme always and a very similar theme to the one mentioned in this article um phallic drawings and and the like and occasionally they would be discovered and then they would be painted over only to be replaced with more detailed and more uh perhaps obscene (laughs) uh, cartoons uh depicting all kinds of things and it just went on and on and on and uh there you have it but it was always interesting to see what would be you know once it was discovered what it would be replaced with
2: right so is there any was there any end to it
4: no. I'm no. sure okay. <laughs> if I went back to this place today, there would probably still be some form of phallic drawing. Yeah. In the same location.
2: So long, long time ago, you know, I've been doing this for uh for the airlines for well, coming up um in ten days will be thirty my thirtieth anniversary at Acme. Um when I first started flying, uh back in the old seven twenty-sevens. There were several places for people to stash um inappropriate photos, shall I say? Ooh, photos. And yeah. You know, from magazines. Sure, sure. And um it, it it wasn't long after I was hired that um uh management said, Hey, look, you know, let's be professionals here. Um let's quit, you know, playing around with this stuff and this could potentially be you know something that could be a liability for us if you know the public found out what was going on in our cockpits you know with this with this stuff and uh and it it was uh an effort was made you know pretty quickly after i was hired to to, to stem uh that and it w- wasn't long thereafter where you didn't see any of that stuff which is you know appropriate you should not sure. have uh you know you think and then you know like I, sometimes in our bathrooms I never have understood somebody taking out their pen or something to scratch something with, you know, the graffiti thing. Oh, like in the stall? Yeah. Yeah, it never fails. And even to this day, I think to myself, for goodness sakes, we are professional pilots. Well, and and, who's spending that
4: much time in there, really? You need to see a doctor if you have to spend that long in a stall in a public bathroom.
2: Yeah, most of these things aren't artistry. They're more, um, you know, like things being said, you Mm -hmm. know, against Certain people yeah, in the company and that things. kind of thing, and it's just like, come on, really, grow up. Let's not be juveniles. Let's be adults and professionals as we are, and you know, act like it. Yeah.
4: I will say, um, and this is well known amongst skydivers, but um, if you ever do get into skydiving and you have your logbook of you know how many jumps you've made, do not leave that out and about. Uh, make sure that is in a secure place at all times. Um, otherwise, you will find it filled with um, cartoons.
2: Ah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, in that case, that's like that's, uh, that's somebody's personal thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, but when you're when you're leaving in in a a our a office, a public place, a public place yeah. potentially, and it, you know, it's not not yeah. good.
4: Not at a place of business. No. Where you're an employee. Right. Not a good, not a good thing.
2: Right. And when your and when your employer tells you that this is inappropriate, then you should follow Stop. those. Yeah, and especially directions. in the
4: military, good grief.
2: Yeah. And see, most of, and at the time, you know, when I was hired by ACME, 90%, I would say, of us came from the military. We were officers. You'd think that, you know, you'd have a certain level of, you know, professionalism and class, uh, but not always the case. Yeah. No. I'm a point. uh, No. Never mind. Moving, uh, on. Uh, moving on. Moving um, on. Item four: the hard landing in where was this?
4: Uh, uh, Buon Oh, thank you. Pronunciation.
2: Oh yes, he did. Say it again.
4: Bumantat.
2: Bumantat. Um This was from Alejandro. Alejandro. Al- Alejandro. Alejandro. Um, why don't you read it?
4: sure. Hi APG crew, this is Alejandro again from Vietnam. For sure you guys will comment about the VIAJET landing in Thuot. Inside information said that it was a bounce landing followed by a 3.9G nose gear landing. Ouch. I would like to add some factors about this runway. Here where I work, Acme Blue, this is a captain's landing airport because the runway has a slope of almost about two degrees. A320 family limitation. So when you are waiting in the holding point, you can only see until half of the runway. So only see about half of the runway at a time. Slope's from a, pretty good. From the approach. Yeah, good, good uh, slope or incline. Mm-hmm. What I mean is that during the takeoff roll, you will be going up. And when you pass the halfway of the runway, you will be going down again. So it's sloped on either side. It kind of comes to a point. I think is what he's trying to describe. At nights, the runway is super dark and without center lights and is away from the city, so we, the pilots, can experience an empty field myopia. Rumors said that the airframe got a substantial damage, giving a total loss for a brand new A321neo received just two weeks ago from the factory. Attached, you guys can see some pictures and also the video of the evacuation recorded by a passenger. Wishing you the best, Alejandro, former Boeing 737 first officer and Airbus captain. Uh, P.S. If it's not Boeing, I'm not going. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> LOL.
2: Oh, he's not here.
4: That's okay. Even more reason to read it. And, uh,
2: yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, this is the, another,
4: uh, yeah, aircraft that lost its, uh, nose gear. Nose, yeah. Nose very similar
2: to the uh, one in Macau. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that last picture there of the, uh, wrinkled skin is, uh, definitely telltale evidence that uh, they're not going to be able to use this airplane again, no. which is such a shame. I'm only two weeks old. Right. Wow. Thank you. Alejandro. Ale, Alejandro. Close enough. Okay. Thank thanks. <laughs> um, five Glenn Teller. You ever heard of this guy?
4: I have time or two.
2: All right. From, I have uh, not done any thing with this audio. I have not even listened to it yet. Uh so I'm not sure, you know, how this is gonna sound. We'll, we'll give it a whirl. Here we go.
3: Hello, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Captain Dana, and Doctor Steph. It's Glenn here from New Zealand with some feedback. I know some of the Patreon thing you were saying about how Jeff did a tour of the ATC in Atlanta, which is from sure a lot busier than the one I went to, which was actually in Wellington, with the Aeronautical Society, I know. Nick does a lot of stuff for the Aeronautical Society, and uh, I've been a member for many years now. So it's a sort of a shout out for them, the Wellington branch. Where you know, we, uh, anyone live Wellington, listeners might want to join as well, or even join the local one. More local to them, anyway. Yeah, the uh, t- the towers are very interesting. It's only just opened, um, opened up in the end of August, I think you said. So it's a relatively new building a replacement of the old one, which actually had its own street address, which is the only control tower apparently in the whole world that had its own street address. It was completely separate from the airport and overlooked the airport. And so they've opened a new, as they say, they've opened a new aluminium clad one, which is apparently earthquake proof and good for tsunamis and all sorts of other stuff. But you never know, it is quite close to the sea here. They the Wellington Airport is pretty much on reclaimed land, and should a tsunami come in, it would probably wipe out the airport. So, yeah, it was a very interesting tour. Um, They were, don't have a radar room, so sorry, AG and RH. Uh, everything's all computerised. There's no paper strips anymore. It's all, like I say, it's all computers. So you just basically make a strip on the on the yeah, see so Make a strip on the computer the aircraft. Uh, yeah, it gives a clearance to take off or clearance to land, of course. And, uh, yeah, everything says, it say, is everything done on the computer? So the air, you watch, you watch what, you, 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 you can watch it on the screen. As the aircraft rolls down the runway and then just picks up the squawk, pick, it squawks its, uh, ident and everything. And you can see it's a A320 or a 737 or, or whatever. And, uh, yeah, the radar tracks it and gives its, uh, tracks. So it's, it's a yeah, good. It's a very good system. Um, I think there's only like four controllers on it at one time where well, they call called the cab. So and I think we've, we've flights stop at about one o'clock in the morning and start at six o'clock in the morning. Here, so for noise abatement, but uh, with modern airlines, are so much quieter. But obviously there's some people who live near Heathrow would, uh, as our good friend Adam Spink would, knows about all the, the complainers. But anyway, well, that's about it really. Um, I if i put this feedback in before christmas maybe i'll do a another one closer to christmas anyway and that'll be glenn out
2: thank you glenn always good to hear from you and that was a very high quality recording thank you
3: indeed
4: nice uh interesting tower visit for you there very cool yeah always fun to be able to do that type of stuff
2: so i'm um, not sure what the Material of the tower was Um never heard of it before. Um, what did he say? I'm sorry, little... aluminum. Oh,
4: aluminum. Yeah, <laughs> I was just not making an aluminum joke. Yeah, either. I'm not sure what that is. I think it's some sort of metal.
5: Yeah. Nick's, I not, think very... Nick's not here to defend defend that right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very similar to aluminum, of... I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Uh You hear Dana has uh, rejoined us. He's lurking in the background. Yep, I'm here. Right. I'm
5: here dr- safely driving.
2: Okay, be careful. Hands on the wheel and all that. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's what you want to anyway. hear after that, just total silence. <laughs> <laughs> uh item six, Ruben. Uh some more audio feedback uh for Glaucus uh regarding starting his pilot career. Okay.
4: Only <laughs> answer
2: uh, really? You're breaking up so much. I really didn't hear what you said.
4: Something about hands-free. I heard.
2: No.
5: Oh. oh no! I was going through a really bad area. I said it's all legal. It's it's all uh, hands-free. So I'm good okay. to go. Stay with the show.
2: Excellent. All right. Uh, we're going to play some more audio feedback. This is from Ruben for G-Man.
7: Good day. This is uh, Fo Ruben from Australia. Um, I'm a uh, flying Dutchman. Down Under. I uh, just wanted to pitch in about uh, G-Man's feedback in an earlier APG episode uh, about uh, the possibility of starting later in his life on the, on the pathway to becoming a, a airline pilot or pilot in general um, in Australia. And I'd just like to um, offer my advice uh, on that matter. Uh, maybe the big carriers might prefer younger people, but for sure, there are many other carriers which, uh, definitely employ, um, older people because, especially at the moment, seeing that there is a shortage everywhere, all airlines are scrambling. Um, I'm flying for Acme Regional West, as it were, and, uh, yeah. I just, uh, we hired a bunch of new classes, or sorry, a new, few new classes started this year, and they all had various age groups in all those various, uh, FOs, uh, groups of FOs starting. So that's, uh, definitely a possibility. We wouldn't, shouldn't put you off in any way. Um, I think, uh, G Man can always contact me in case, uh, he likes some more specific advice about the Australian aviation industry. Uh, I've been flying both in Australia and Europe. Uh, it's quite different, but... Um, I mean, the industries, uh, from a hiring airline perspective, uh, Australia being more similar to the US, I think, as opposed to Europe. Um, but nonetheless, jobs are around, and even if you can't, won't be able to go straight into an airline, just as Captain Jeff said, Which is a possibility in Europe, straight out of flight school, but it isn't in the US nor Australia. But the jobs you would do in the interim are probably the best flying you'll do in your whole career, anyway, or the most exciting. Uh, Yeah, so uh, definitely go for it, I would say, and let me know if you need more info. Thanks very much, Efra Rubin. Out.
2: Thank you, First Officer Rubin. Isn't our community awesome? I was
4: going to say, community is coming through for us. That's absolutely.
2: Wonderful. I mean, several times on, on today's show, mm-hmm. uh, we're all helping each other that out.
4: Not unusual. So if no. you have a question, even if we can't answer it or help you out, it's pretty likely that someone out there listening to your question on our show will have an answer or have some guidance or some assistance.
2: Right. and. Our producer, Liz, says that she is going to make sure that uh, Ruben's information is sent to G-Man. And uh, so let's see, G-Man is a Brazilian in Australia, and mm-hmm. Ruben is a Dutchman,
1: mm-hmm.
2: a flying Dutchman in Australia. Quite a, a mix of, uh, of uh, cultures there, huh? Indeed. All right, I very cool. Thanks again, Ruben. Jez. Sends us some feedback. The most important question in the world for the captains. Okay, never mind all that Boeing versus Squarebus nonsense. This truly is the most important question of all. Do guys use real shoe polish and brushes when on a trip or the instant paint type? Seriously, though, what travel hacks do you have that are worth sharing other than the four days use out of one pair of smalls? I guess a small is uh underwear
4: garment. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think so. Mine are larges. <laughs> Still loving the show. Jez. <laughs> <When> uh, <it, laughs>
4: your pair of smalls or your pair of larges. We, whichever is most appropriate to you. We don't judge here.
2: Well, you know, there are certain areas where you go. Yeah. You got to have certain areas where you, you have to have a larger than a small. Bam. Um, so yeah. Shoe polish. You know, there was a time where I actually did carry a, like a small little travel uh, thing of shoe polish and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I tend to uh, have the uh, proprietors at the airport uh, shine the shoes uh, I was going to say that's probably
4: easier and faster and less yeah. hassle.
2: It's more expensive. But True, I'm but how often, the economy. Poli-
4: how often are you polishing your shoes?
2: Not shoe. that often. Yeah. No.
4: Uh, yeah, and then and, it,
5: it, and I want to give a big shout out because I don't know if you ever, ha, have ever met this gentleman uh, or had his had him polish your shoes, Jeff. But the gentleman Jackson, Mississippi, he is he he gives an unbelievable shoe polish, so good indeed. In fact, that I did not even have to have my shoes quite literally polished for about a month, or <laughs> actually probably three months, and uh, even. They even look better when I, than when I got them out of the box, brand new. Did such wow. a great job.
2: Well, I don't get to Jackson very often, but I'll have to remember that next time I'm there.
5: Yeah, do you remember that. That's a good that, travel hack. To, to, do you have any other
2: trap? Do you have any other travel hacks, Dana?
5: Yeah. I, generally speaking, I just show up, my shoes polished, and uh, don't bring uh, a kit with me, and/or uh, I don't tend to use those. Uh, those sponges because they do do some damage to the, uh, to the shoes over time. So, uh, I, I would tend to say that I use uh, shoe polish and don't forget, we have the shoe polish kit in the uh, crew lounge that we have access to. Right. So not that we go down the lounge a whole lot as you talked about in last episode, yeah. but still, you know, if you have a long, a, a pretty good sit and my shoes are looking pretty haggard, then I'll, I'll go ahead and put a quick polish on them. How about right.
4: even other things not related to shoes? Do you guys like do interesting things to make sure that the curtains are completely closed and block out all the light at night? Uh, I know some people are particular about that, and they've come up with all kinds of crazy ways of using like the the clothes clothes hangers in the room to pinch the curtains together. Um, you know, um, ways to that's a
2: good idea. I'd like to learn those hacks. I-
4: oh yeah, I'll have to. Uh, I'm sure we- they are abundant on. Uh, well, I'm not seeing lists on Facebook of all kinds of different things
2: to very much like the uh, gentleman at the Denver International Airport. I do the opposite. I make sure that my curtains are <laughs> all the way open,
4: and so as many
2: people out of as uniform? possible. Yes, out of uniform.
5: <laughs> uh, <or> suit, <tissue> maybe. <laughs>
2: so, no, you know what? Um, so, I would like to know uh, how to get the. The curtains, you know, so you can block out all the light. I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll take some uh, of the extra pillows and put them down uh, where the where the light's coming through from the, the door to the hallway. Uh, that cuts down on a lot of light. But there are some places also that have like, uh, uh, what do you call those, microwaves. And that mm-hmm. kind of thing where they have these bright LEDs oh, yeah. on the front of them. And it's like lighting up the entire room. Um I'm wondering, um, I, I keep thinking about it, but I keep forgetting to put it in my bag, like have a, like a small roll of gaffer's tape or something like that mm-hmm. to uh, take to cover up some of these LED lights, but uh, that might be a good hack.
5: Well, I, I, well, I do have a very yeah. interesting hack. Yeah? Uh, that interesting hack is that I use a uh, remote condom on my remote controls, you know, for the TV. I think we may have talked about this in the past a long time ago. So that you don't
4: what, uh, expose yourself to um, germs?
5: Yeah, pretty much. The, uh, you know, the, the, one of the most unclean, I mean, beyond the, the telephone and the, uh, the coffee-making machine, one of the most unclean things in the room is the remote control. Um, so what I'll do <laughs> is the ice bag that you use to put the ice into the bucket, I take that, I put my hand into the ice bag, then I grab the remote control, wrap the ice bag around it, and tie a knot around the remote control. It's perfectly clear. It use it. It, it keeps it, your hands off the remote control and keeps your hands clean. And uh, you know, ever since I started doing that, actually, you know, sometimes I come come down with colds. On on on, uh, you know, of course you can catch them from uh, you know flying pilots like Jeff that are that are sick flying, but. Uh, you know, people that spread germs in hotel rooms. Uh, you know, I don't. I find they don't come down. Uh, you know, probably limited, eliminated three or f- four colds just by doing that.
4: You know, it's funny. Um, a lot of these things that people, you know, think up these different hacks for for traveling, seem to have very little impact on me. I, I can sleep through pretty much anything, including various levels of light in a room, sound in a room. So I, it never even occurs to me to. Think about ways to close the blinds all the way, or to you know block off flashing lights. I'm not, maybe surprising to some people as a physician, but I'm not a germaphobe, so I don't really worry about you know remote controls or. Um,
2: I kind of have many, the same philosophy. as like
4: tray tables on the airplane. I just, I just, you know. Um, I'm all, all about
2: building up my immune system
4: and all the all the important things that you're supposed to do, but. Yeah. Just for my own general daily life, not so
2: much. Yeah. I yeah. I'm I'm And maybe kind I'm just lucky a, the... I
4: have a I have a relatively robust immune system and I don't tend to get sick too often. Um when I do, it's usually a good one, but um I don't get like little colds and things usually in between. I was Hard flying illnesses. with a
2: guy, um not this trip, but the last trip. And he had like a, a huge ziploc bag full of the um The wipes, the Santa wipes, Mm -hmm. and I mean, he wouldn't touch anything in the cockpit until it was like all swabbed and everything else was
4: wiped down the entire cockpit.
2: Yeah, and it was like, wow, that's. I mean, I've seen people, you know, like, you know, wash their hands with Purell and that type of thing. But I mean, it was like over everything, and uh, yeah, Um, Yeah. but I'm I'm at the philosophy. I'm like you. Stuff It's just like, yeah, I figure that's going to boost my immune system. Exactly. exposing myself to some of these things, but Low level whatever. Of- <laughs> you know. um, hmm. Any other another- hacks for us, uh,
7: Steph? Um,
4: um, you know, I think one that I see come up a lot, especially for relatively new pilots or people who are on a budget perhaps, who don't have a lot of disposable income to be eating out a lot or want to save some of that per diem money. Ways to bring food on trips. Um. And I actually have one of these because it's really nice for when I'm in the office and I don't have time to, you know, make a healthy meal or I want to avoid eating out, you can bring leftovers or sometimes even just cook in this thing. It's called a Hot Logic Mini, and it basically is like the equivalent size of, you know, like a leftover food container, but it's insulated and it's got a little hot plate on the bottom and an electrical cord and you plug it into the wall and it either heats or will even cook in some cases your meal over kind of like a slow cooker type of deal. It's over an hour, hour and a half. So if you're looking for ways to get hot meals that are more, potentially more nutritious and much more affordable, that's one, one thing to look into. It's like 35 bucks and I I use it all the time at work. I think it's well worth the investment. Um, Cool. What's it called again? A hot logic, mini
2: hot logic, mini. Mm
4: Okay. I know a lot of, um, uh, especially regional airline pilots use that a lot for cooking in hotel rooms and things like that. You just need a plug mm-hmm. an outlet. Um, what else
5: now? I, I use, uh, um, you know, those ice, um, you know, the, 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 ice bags that you can buy at like a CVS or a drugstore that you use to put on your head for headache.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh-huh.
5: I'll use for, to keep out, uh, if I'm bringing food to me and I have a cooler, I'll use those as a portable ice bag that, you know, is, is completely sealed, doesn't leak and keeps everything nice and cold.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: So Very cool. yeah, I remember you, uh, I, I remember flying with you and, and you having those. It's pretty cool.
5: Yeah. It's, it's, it's a nice way to help, you know, keep food. And if you want to stay, you know, stay somewhat healthy, of course, most of the food on the road is, is very unhealthy another thing you, you you mentioned you know keeping the curtains closed it's not a, it's not a big deal to me but you know i do have uh, you know those those uh those big uh black clips that have the two little uh um um levers like, on them
2: yeah binder clips or whatever the call binder
5: clips yeah I, you know if 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 i'm having a problem keeping the uh the blinds closed you don't need the big one just a small one works too and you can use those to keep the the blinds closed. And a lot of pilots, including myself, you know, you tend to carry those because we keep things clipped together or, or clipped on the yoke yoke mount. So that's another way to keep those blinds closed. Uh, the okay. uh, the uh, blackout curtains closed.
2: Excellent. Good stuff. Good hacks. All right. If you have a hack, dear listener, that you think that the APG community could benefit from, please send it in. Feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Use the Feedback form on the website, use the feedback uh, uh, functionality on the apps, and what else? All kinds of different ways to send us feedback. Thank you, Jez, for asking the question. Item nine. And uh, this, excellent. This is a good one. I wanted to make sure we got this one in as well. So uh, from our producer, Liz, uh, she found this somewhere, hushkit.net, <laughs> which I've never heard of hushkit. What is that? Is that an aviation website?
4: No, it's like a, I think they do like lists like this, like top 10 lists or top whatever number lists Ah. of just interesting things or just one of, you know, like those internet sites that don't really have a lot of substance to their content, but things that you're just going to read for for enjoyment.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the title of this is the top 34 pilot mustaches. And Liz says, another shocking example of inaccuracy in regards to aviation reporting. It is starkly obvious that this list is missing one very important pilot. How can that be? I guess she's referring to me, but I don't know. (laughs) Looking at some of these mustaches, I got a long way to go before I have a. uh,
4: I mean, there are some real works of art.
2: Yes. And there are some really that I'm thinking, uh, really, why are they on this list? Um,
4: there, and then there are some that are really not, not good.
2: No. Um, so according to the author of this article, along with the, with a sense of dash, a disrespect for authority and a dog, the male pilot should have a mustache. When we asked our readers for their suggestions, yeah, I'm glad they made that distinction there. A male pilot should have a mustache. <laughs> uh, when we asked our readers for their suggestions for the top 10 pilot mustaches, we were stunned by the huge response. With this in mind, we have grown the list from 10 to a Great hairy 34. And uh, the number 34, we're not going to cover everyone because we don't have enough time to do it. Uh, I, I do like this one, though. Uh, the first one, item number 34, or list, uh, on the list, number 34, Dick Dastardly.
3: Dret, double dret, and triple dret.
2: That's a cartoon. <laughs> I don't know if this is just a U.S. cartoon or not, but... Uh, uh, Dick Dastardly uh, with, what was the dog's name? I can't remember the dog's name.
4: I don't remember either. I wish I did, because it's great. Yeah. I mean, but when you see the, if you're not, you know, if the name is not ringing a bell for you, if you click on the link and look at the picture, you'll, I think most readers will recognize this it's cartoon.
2: Very long, thin handlebar mustache. Yes. And it's, uh, his appearance is based on Sir Percival Ware Armitage from The Magnificent Men in Their Flying Machines, played by Terry Thomas dick is penalized for not being real. <laughs> um, item 33 Oh, Chelsea?
4: Mutley was that the huh? name?
2: Oh, Muttley? yeah, yeah. I think you're right.
4: Oh, uh, that was the really the chat room.
2: Yeah, I think That's that might matter. be right. Mutley. Um, item number 33 Chelsea uh, Sullenberger. Sullenberger, Sully Sullenberger. Um and uh, and they and he have little comments about each of these. Um so it's definitely worth looking yes. at this link. Um, no item number 32, chief instructor, CDR commander, Mike Viper Metcalf, uh, from the homoerotic naval recruitment <laughs> film, top gun.
4: <laughs> the comments are definitely worth reading. Yeah, even you need to to get work. to all of them. Yeah.
2: Some of them are not very kind.
4: That is, <laughs> most, that is funny. Most of them are not very kind. <laughs>
2: yeah. Most of them are really not, not, they're, they're harsh. Uh, I love number 30, general Guishi Nagoaka. Uh-huh. Um, this guy's mustache is probably from tip to tip, from left to right. I
4: mean, a good.
2: At least a, a foot and a half to two feet long. Yeah. Or wide. Very, very nice. I'm jealous.
4: Impressive. Uh,
2: very impressive. Uh, let's see. CJ Heater Heatley, quote, strawberry top gun. <laughs> F14 pilot top gun instructor and photographer Heatley took pictures that inspired the top Gun film. I don't know if that's true or not, I guess so. All very well, but this but his thespian mustache seems too conventional to earn many points despite its excellent condition and strawberry blonde hue. As you can see, they're they're having fun with this. We have some some Germans, some uh, World War II aces, World War One aces. Um, oh, our favorite Bob Hoover. Mm. sports are very nice. This is just a drawing, not an actual photo of him. Uh, But it's a pretty nice, uh, it's an impressive mustache, mustache. I think. Um, Let's see, Steph, are there any uh, in here that uh, while you're scrolling through that uh, seem that stand out to you? Oh,
4: yeah, just other notable names that people recognize and know of. Howard Hughes. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see who else. Uh, There was one. Oh, the uh, apparently the Indians. At the mm. have made the top of the list for having the most impressive mustaches.
2: Apparently it's a sign of uh, ultimate masculinity in, in their the, culture. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love this one. Uh, <laughs> Group Captain Mandrake, um, Peter Sellers and Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove. Uh, they have a picture of him uh, with his mustache and they said they they took points off, though, they say, because it's probably not a real mustache. Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, Anyway,
4: yeah, good stuff.
2: Check it out. Um,
4: oh well, number one, of course.
2: Number one, and and who is that? Who would that be?
4: Orville Wright.
2: Orville Wright. The original yes. pilot, yes. And you know, I have to say, in this portrait, very impressive mustache. Indeed. Yes. All and, right. So if you
5: and if you look on the back of your license, or it's on the front side of your pilot license, that same mustache is uh, adorned there, I believe.
2: Hmm. I believe so. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Liz, for that. And again, please be sure, dear listener, to check this uh, out in the show notes. I think you'll get a kick out of it. Uh-oh. Who's, what do we have here? The Adventures of Ivor and Tarco. Actually, this is just Ivor. Hi. My name is Ivor. Oh, wait a minute. I think Ivor sent this to the wrong show. I think he meant to send this to a different podcast. I'm going to read it anyway, though. Let's just see what he's up to. Hi, my name is Ivor. This is my first feedback to the Alex's VFR slash IFR podcast. Well, Alex, you've certainly hit on a subject that's caught the imagination of the geeky pilot community. You can always measure a subject's popularity by using the Anderson scale. If you activate the aging and frankly worrying brain cells of that little scamp, Captain Nick Anderson, you've got the aviation world at your feet. Now, I'm not prepared to get close to any pilot's feet, but a certain part of Alex's feedback intrigued me. It wasn't being downwind of a CTAF, whatever on God's earth that is. Over here in the UK, that would be an uncomfortable situation of being halfway up a Welsh mountain just behind Captain Al on a particularly windy day. But back to my interest in Alex's feedback. The airport was called Muscle Shoals. I don't believe it, as I'm sure Michael will back me up. Muscle Shoals is a world-renowned rhythm section and a recording studio of worldwide fame. That's one of the studios... So don't try and fool us music geeks. We won't allow you to pretend that Muscle Shoals has an airport worthy of such a feedback frenzy. frenzy, Unless it's some one-eyed, one-horse town, and the airport is something that normal people would call a flying club. And one of your pilot friends tried to land an airliner in amongst the innocent Cessna 150-172 and Beechcraft community. Shame on you. Keep up the good work, Alex. Much better than this APG nonsense. Yours cordially, Ivor McDonald, your faithful servant. So, Ivor, did you understand that you sent this to our show and not Alex's VFR IFR podcast? Hmm.
1: Mm.
4: Well,
2: well, we know how he feels about us.
4: Yeah, I th- I think that was worth a reading. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Me too. And Muscle Shoals is a place, and it's also, uh, they've, they've got the Swampers, right? Uh, the what? Sweet Who? Home, Alabama. Oh. Um, anyway, check out Sweet Home, Alabama, and you'll hear the, uh, the town of Muscle Shoals mentioned, which is on, it's, it's uh, nicely situated on the Tennessee River. But don't be confused. It's not in Tennessee. It's in Alabama. It's one-
4: hey, before we um, before we go on, can I make a correction? Yes, you asked about whatever hushkit dot net was. Yes, apparently it is just an aviation related oh, uh, site.
2: That makes sense because they use their hushkits on is- um, noisy jet engines. Yes,
4: right? yes, that does make sense. Okay. I think I was thinking of something else similar. Who knows? Yeah, but apparently their tagline is the alternative aviation magazine. Oh, so there you
2: go. Very good. I'll have to check it out.
4: My my bad.
2: Hey, no problem. Hey, we mentioned them several times, so I'm sure they'll appreciate that. Yes. Um, and finally, uh, we have this feedback from young Gabriel. Hi, Captain Jeff and the rest of the team. It's Gabriel here, referred to in chat as Solar Car, and I think I did see that yes. name in the chat Gabriel Is he was, still there? Was here? Uh-huh. Okay. Excellent. I've been listening at least to. At recently. I've been listening to ABG for quite a while now, and actually have written to you a few times already. And I'm thinking, I don't remember getting anything from Gabriel. Turns out I was not supposed to send it directly from the website. <laughs> okay, so apparently, however, he was trying to send it to us. So uh, we never got it. Well, I'm writing to you now. I have a few questions. Number one, I have just started ground school to get my RPP. Is that recreational pilot permit?
4: Mm, yes, I believe he is in Canada. So okay. maybe, yeah, I'm not sure what a, an
2: RPP is.
4: Maybe like a sport pilot maybe, yeah. license similar.
2: Okay. I'm not going to say my exact age for security reasons, but let's just say that I'm under the age to acquire the actual permit. Anyway, this is a start. Do you have any suggestions? For example, what should I be certain to take notes on? What can I do to improve my learning experience, etc. Any tips, uh, Steph?
4: Yeah. So if you've got some time before you can actually, um, get in, well, uh, you should be able to get flight experience, at least in, in the United States, you'd be able to fly with an instructor, just, um, there's age requirements on actually age limitations on actually getting your certificate or being able to take your check ride. However, um, and to solo and things like that. But, um, I'd say, you know, it's great that you have this interest already. And, um, Soak in as much as you can from ground school. And I'd say, um, you know, this is all practice and actually it's a hands-on skill. So as much time you can spend um, getting hours and getting instruction, um, make sure you have an instructor that you get along with and who you feel like you're um, able to work well with. I think those are the most important things. And the rest is just repetition and practice.
2: And what should I be certain to take notes on? I'd say mm, Everything. No,
4: I don't know. No, I mean, you want to have the requisite knowledge to, um, there's two kinds of knowledge, I think, anytime you're learning something. There's knowledge to pass a test, which is one thing, is good, and should encompass the stuff that you need to know to safely operate an aircraft, to fly safely, theory, systems, all that type of stuff. But make sure that you retain the stuff that, um, like I said, is just that important for, safe operation of the aircraft you're flying, um, You know, solid theory, fundamentals of flight. Um, most of that you're gonna get in the aircraft. The rest of it is stuff that's important for operating environments that you're in, specific to airports, um, regulations about where you can fly and uh, might be specific to the country that you're in.
2: Oh, I so. have something, some advice. Um, mm-hmm. When you're actually flying at the controls, don't take notes. Don't
4: take notes then. That's a bad time to take notes. Because the
2: airplane will probably go out of control. (laughs) Um, B. What does Acme Airlines stand for? Mm. I asked Mister Google. You know, I have not met Mister Google Google yet, Um, and he didn't seem to know. All that came up was Alaska Air. Is that Acme? No, Gabriel. It's not Ac. It's not Alaska, and it's not American and it's not Southwest. It's a virtual airline that is not real, but I am, I do fly for a real airline. So go to, go ask Mr. Google MD dash eight, eight, and then put in the word Atlanta and see what the results are. Now, I've not done that myself. Let's see what happens when I do that. <laughs> <Just>
4: make, sure. <laughs> make sure that doesn't go to something questionable. Yeah.
2: Okay. Let's see. M-D-8-8 and uh Yeah, Atlanta. it's going to come up with... Uh, and let's see. Mr. What Google
4: get. has the right answer.
2: Mr. Google, yes, uh, has the answer. The top result. That is the airline I fly for. I don't say it because... I don't want to be misunderstood or misconstrued or whatever Uh, i don't want somebody to take me as a an official spokesperson for the real airline for which i fly Uh, and by the way i love the airline for which i fly i would never say anything bad about it but just to be on the safe side i don't i don't mention this real name yes dana
5: well, I was just going to say, you know, I, I absolutely agree with you, Jeff. I, I absolutely love the company that we work for as well. And I would never want to do anything to jeopardize that. And it goes all the way back to my first episode I was even on the, on the show where I wasn't even willing to give my real name.
2: Yeah, uh, I Of course, that.
5: that's, that's going <laughs> yeah, to on quite a few yeah, Tony. Exactly. So it's has been uh, for quite a few years. Now, fortunately, I missed the first part of his question, and um, I heard what Doctor Seth was saying about what to, what would be good to keep him his mind sharp, and, and what he needs to learn uh, in, uh, in 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 becoming a pilot. Is, in the, am I getting the right gist as to what the question was?
2: Yeah. He yeah. started just started ground school f- to get his recreational pilot's uh, permit. Ah. Uh, in well, Canada.
5: It, you know the big, the biggest thing is full immersion. I mean, if if one of the things that I ran into personally when I was learning to fly is that uh, I kept on starting and stopping and starting and stopping, and, and there's a very big disadvantage to that. It costs you a lot more money. You you're not as competent initially because you, you're having to relearn things over and over, and uh, you know there there. If you look into look in to just what you do in, 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 high school and college, you know, they teach you all these different courses that they want you to, to be able to use, um, in life. You know, for example, how, how often after, I mean, I don't know if you, Dr. Steph, but me as an airline pilot, I don't use, uh, algebra and trigonometry. Uh, but you know, those are required courses to become an airline, you know, go to the airline program, my school at least. Um, mm-hmm. But in real-world practicality, it, that's book knowledge that you need to, to develop and in, 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 in get through school, but do I use it in practicality every day? No. So that, that really applies to the same thing with flying. You know, even when Jeff and I learned how to fly the airplane we're on, there's a lot more that we have, you know, that we had to know about the airplane that we have to be familiar with. We have to know where to look the information up, and that's kind of where my key, where I'm going with this, is just you have to know... Where your resources are, you have to get through the tests. And once you get through those those tests, pretty much like Doctor Seth was saying, uh, you know, you, you 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 apply the information that you have, and then you can use those resources. Once you have the knowledge, pass those tests, um, you 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 become a, a more competent person because you know you you know where the resources are. You don't have to know everything. You just need to have the information to get through where you are. Presently, and that is if you get your equivalent of a sports pilot license here in the United States, which I think is a correct assessment, um, you know, you, you get through that process. You, you know the information um, as a sport pilot to, to pass that test. Then you start, what I would say, you start really learning how to fly and, 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 and gain that experience. And it actually goes right back to what we were talking about earlier when I, on the flight directors. I mean, that, that's a level of comfort that you
2: eventually build up Ah, uh, we're losing you, Dana thank you though good input, good input uh, we're kind of losing Dana's signal, so um appreciate your input, sir um and uh I have not been looking at the um at the chat room um is he uh saying anything in return for all of this wonderful nope. advice we're giving him
4: I think uh, he's no longer with us oh in the that's
2: okay well he'll he'll have to listen then yeah. uh, after the fact
4: place
5: up there.
2: pardon me <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think he's but, still
4: giving advice
2: yeah
5: no i'm, I'm oh, not okay, I just, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm sorry, I I'm, sorry. I'm sorry i went i went through a tunnel and must have lost my signal so but yeah you the yeah of it. so uh yeah you know, yep, got it, it enough said
2: all right. Enough said thank thanks dana Uh, Let's see. So to uh, just kind of tie this thing up uh, with a bow, um, the um, uh, last paragraph uh, on his feedback or in his feedback. Also, I do do live in Canada. So if you have any questions concerning the second largest country in the world, I'm all ears. Also, if you make uh, some comment about our country, do expect to hear from me. (laughs) Okay. And I thought, wait a minute, the second largest country in the world? Uh I'm thinking... That can't be right. Not so, second
4: largest population, second largest as far as land area. Maps, so.
2: Yeah, and uh-huh. I I actually learned something here, I, and I was kind of surprised to see that Russia.
4: Russia is number one.
2: Is number one in area. Canada number two. Mm-hmm. The United States number three. three. I'm thinking, wait a minute, where's China? Four. Four. Well, I guess the United States because of Alaska.
4: Yeah. And wow. I think even just. Actually, I'm not sure if the lower 48 would be larger or not than mainland China. I'm looking at a map right now, and they're pretty similar in latitude. And so the you know, mm-hmm. the amount of distortion shouldn't be that much difference between the two. And it's close. I think definitely Alaska tips it over the edge there.
2: Yeah. But, you know, and that's uh, as a, a measure of actual, you know, square footage or square mileage or whatever you want to call it. And when you talk about population then of course then we're talking about a different order but uh yeah so uh thanks for your feedback solar car um age unknown and uh good luck with your your ground school and your flying experience and please continue to listen yeah
4: we like the updates
2: yes we do we're all about that and we have several people who have started off with hardly any experience whatsoever and now are actually flying for airlines. So, this is a good place to hang out. So, thanks for being there, Gabriel. And look forward to hearing from you and your progress in the future. And that brings us to the end of today's show, episode 352. Um,. Let's see if you want to, uh, if you're new to the show and you want to learn more about what the heck this APG thing is, Airline Pilot Guy show or Airline Pilot Guy community, APG community is awesome. That's the best part of doing all this. And if you want to learn more about it, uh, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com where you learn about the community, the crew, our backgrounds. Um, Oh, by the way, speaking of that, if you don't already listen to uh, Pilot PIP's and Captain Al's wonderful plane safety podcast. Uh, please do. The last couple of episodes have been just amazing. Uh, it is their version of How I Got Here, uh, a, an, a, an installment that we sometimes have on this show by Captain Steve Horn. Um, who has been very, very busy learning new airplanes uh, with a new airline. And so he hasn't been able to do uh, any of those awesome productions lately. But if you want to hear how Pilot Pip and Captain Al got to where they are, um, it's very entertaining and very informative. And I think that uh, everybody would get a kick out of listening to, uh, well, his show is awesome to begin with, but uh, the latest couple of episodes were great. Yeah, I need to listen to
4: part two. I've listened to part yes. one. Very good, very good. And
2: and they're thinking that it's only going to be a two parter, but uh, then they get to a certain point and realize. Oh, did no, they go into part three? We ran out. Yeah, they ran out of, <laughs> oh, <true. laughs> of, of of time on this one as well. So, uh, but anyway, uh, good job, guys. Uh, really, uh, really enjoying that. And and it got me got me to thinking. Uh, maybe we need to do that sometime on the APG. Yeah. Uh, to kind of learn more about how how we all got to where we are. And mm-hmm. uh, Dana's story is very interesting and different from anybody else's. Captain Nick and mine uh, more similar than not. We were both from military backgrounds and then uh, Dr. Steph, it's always interesting to hear how she got involved in flying and uh, more about her life. She's an amazing person as well. So maybe we'll do that sometime as a special episode or whatever. Sure. uh, Take that on perhaps. um,
5: i definitely be game for that as well.
2: Okay. Excellent. So again, big plug for the plane safety podcast it's planesafety.com and uh, let's Safe see so podcast, I talk what I say
4: planesafety.com
2: yeah I think it's what
4: help us out Pip is it planesafetypodcast.com or planesafety.com
2: oh I'm sorry planesafetypodcast you're right I think so I'm thinking I'm thinking you're saying that I'm thinking well like, is that what I just said, said. <laughs> <laughs> apparently not you're not okay. hearing the words that now are coming I out hear, of my mouth I hear I hear the difference of what I was saying and what you were saying okay anyway uh, apps for the phones. Uh, iOS and Android are out there. Information about that on the website. Um, uh, social media.
4: Steph. Social media. We are on Twitter. Uh, find us there using the handle at APG Crew, And you can also head over to Facebook. Facebook.com slash Guy. Both great places to interact with the community, interact with us, and find out additional information about the goings-ons in terms of when shows are recording and when we might be. At a location near you for meetups.
2: Absolutely. And we're also on Slack.
6: APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and plane tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo, at AirlinePilotGuy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled H-I-1-1-E-1. Hotel India, 1-1, Echo 1. And see you in Slack.
2: Thanks, Hillel. And finally, until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless.
4: Cheers, y'all.
5: Bye-bye, everyone. Talk to you next time.
7: Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy.
6: Good day.